Hey, friends, what the fuck's going on? This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Onnit. That's O-N-N-I-T. Onnit is a total human optimization website. Right now, for the next 18 hours, there's a giant sale going on. Twenty Right now, it is Thursday, April 21st. Um, and there's a giant sale that's going on for 18 more hours. So if you get to this within that time, 3.43, it is, well, you probably won't, unless you're listening right now. But you're not, unless you're here. So what the fuck am I saying? Uh, giant sale at Onnit. 20% off supplements, 18% off foods, 15% off fitness, 25% off apparel. If you don't get to that in time, use the code word ROGAN and you will save 10% off any and all supplements. Supplements like Alpha Brain, which uh, I don't do anything without it. If, uh, if I'm doing a podcast, if I'm doing stand-up comedy, if I'm doing a UFC broadcast, I take it because it helps me think better. It really does. It works. It's proven, double-blind, placebo-controlled studies by the Boston Center for Memory. All those studies are available for your um, your review at onnit.com. And uh, our supplements our supplements also have a money-back guarantee, 100%. You don't have to return the product. You have 90 days for the first 30 pills. Say it didn't do it for you, you get your money back. It's that simple. We're just trying to hook you up with stuff that we use, that I use on a regular basis, and stuff that has been proven and shown to help optimize you, which is what Onnit is all about. Through the form of supplements, through th- strength and conditioning equipment, through the Academy, the Academy link at Onnit.com, which will take you to awesome articles about exercise physiology, articles that are designed to inspire you, um, things on um, diet, workouts of the day. And then, of course, if you are in Austin, Texas, we have a physical Onnit Academy in Austin. It's an awesome gym, state-of-the-art gym which uh, has not just amazing exercise equipment, but also now 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. Go to Onnit, use the code word ROGAN, and save 10% off any and all supplements. We are also brought to you by Bowl & Branch. Bowl & Branch is the sheets that I have on my bed. They're super fucking comfortable. I think... If there's one thing, you know, one, one thing we're talking about, we're talking about once, I forget who it was. Um, they were talking about when you go back to these guys' houses that are like Navy SEALs and you would think they would live these Spartan existences, but no, they have like the most comfortable beds and the most comfortable sheets. Damn it, Jamie. What was that beep? You getting a, a text from a gal? Um, I love a comfortable sheet. I love, I love going to bed in, in soft and awesome sheets and the ones i'm using right now are bowl and branch and they're the most comfortable sheets i've ever had on my bed ever um and you're getting like thousand dollar sheets what would cost a thousand bucks for a couple hundred bucks because they're cutting out all the bullshit they're cutting out the retail store they're cutting out the middleman and um you can go to the website observe how they put it together in their process and if you get one of those Sheets, they will let you try it risk-free for 30 nights. That's how confident they are that these are the best sheets. They're fucking comfortable as hell, man. Um, I literally don't have any other sheets on my bed. I, I don't want them. They're, they're, they're great. It gets even better. If you go to bowandbranch.com today, you get 20% off your entire order. Sheets, towels, blankets, duvet covers, everything. Free shipping, and all their products come beautifully packaged in their signature boxes. So go to Bowl and Branch, that's B-O-L-L, and branch, B-R-A-N-C-H, dot com. Today, bowlandbranch.com. For 20% off your entire order, use the promo code ROGAN. That's bowlandbranch.com. 
Use the promo code ROGAN. Hi, everybody. My guest today is um, from one of my all-time favorite bands, the Black Keys. I fucking love the Black Keys, and Dan Auerbach is here, and I couldn't be more psyched. So let's do this shit. Joe Rogan Podcast, check it out. The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Da, 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 da. And we're live. And you have come bringing the future. This is it's what we've all hoped for. We had all heard about this when we were kids. Dude, they're going to sell weed like cigarettes in a carton, and they're going to be pre-rolled, and you're going to be buying it just like you buy a Marlboro. And you've, you've come bringing this. This is real, sir. Yeah, it's, it's a real thing now. Look Where'd at you get those? Um, I got them in uh, Seattle when we just played there. They, this company brought us a whole gift bag. And how does it work with transport, with things like that? Well, I guess if I told you, it would screw up our transport. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I, I, I'm not a traveler with. I'm a choir when you get there kind of a guy. Sure. I think it's usually yeah. the best move. It's just, it is the best move. But uh, Do they even bother checking people in the Seattle airport anymore? You know, we're on a bus. It's oh, totally different. Right, yeah, you of course. I mean? so, Except if you go to Texas. I would, right? never, I would never take it on a plane. No, not a no, good move. Not a good move. But when they arrested Willie Nelson in Texas, I'm like, wow, that's how much they don't make exceptions. Yeah, that was weird. Fucking just, Willie Nelson? That was stupid. It's ridiculous. I mean... It hurts my feelings. It's like, really? This is what you're doing? You're trying to solve crime? Arresting... What is he, 80 now? Willie's got to be close to 80. I mean, he's got to be in the top 10 of like people who've done more for the state of Texas than yeah. anyone, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. come on. Not only that, he's undeniably awesome. I mean, enough already. He's a great guy. Yeah. Like, why would you want to arrest that guy? That's Even, not. Can you imagine Willie? He was probably like, really? Yeah. Are you serious? It's sad. It's sad. The so, cops must have felt uh, kind of embarrassed. I bet. Yeah, and we were talking today because today this is this is a historic day for music um, because of Prince. I mean, this is um, it's very strange when a guy that's that powerful. Especially when I was a kid during my teen years, I mean, that was when he was, you know, really emerging, and that's when people were really finding out about him. And I remember mm -hmm. thinking, like, wow, this guy is so interesting. He's such a combination of different things. Like, there was he was there was no one that was like him before. I mean, David Bowie was sort of androgynous before, but he took it into a, a different new place, and it was mysterious. And he had some great with David Bowie. For me, it always felt more like theater. Mm. With Prince, it felt more like that's Prince. Yeah, that's really him. You mm. know, yeah. Purple Rain, and then did the movie because he just started that way. Yeah, Bowie kind of transformed into that androgyny. Prince was like that to begin with, right? Yeah, I remember well, the first time Pat and I played the First Avenue in uh, Minneapolis. That's where they shot, I think, some parts from Purple Rain. Maybe the live, is that right? The live segments from from that movie and. Uh, that was the big thing, you know? Yeah, just, just to be there. Here, right. Yeah. Well, he kind of owned Minneapolis, right? He put Minneapolis on the map. And he stayed there. Yeah. And you thought of Minneapolis, like you thought of Prince, you thought of Minneapolis. That was like part of the thing is that he was just this wizard that lived in this frozen land and, mm -hmm. you know, produced all this crazy music. Kind yeah, of They, they never would have arrested Prince for weed. No. In Minneapolis. No, no. He gets a hall pass. <laughs> <laughs> No, so, yeah, he was the man in Minneapolis. I mean, every he was, he's a god there. I wonder what it was that got him. You know, it's it's, it's fifty seven years old. It's, 
I mean, he's a thin guy. He looked like he's healthy. He looked very healthy. He looked like he could have been mistaken for Pharrell. I mean, he was like, yeah. those two guys are like ageless, you know? And he did a show just a couple nights ago. Yeah, yeah. He was on tour. Um, I don't know. It's yeah. so wild. Well, it's so hard when something like that happens. You, you, you can only speculate. You don't, no one really knows until you hear it. It's just, it just reinforces this idea that we're so fragile. This, it all can go away at Absolutely. a moment. Yeah, like, like I said, it's like, it doesn't matter how much money you have. You can have the best doctors in the world, and it's just, you have to be thankful for what you have. Yeah. You, know, you got to be a good human because it can just all go away so quickly. And eventually it's all going to go away for all of us. Yeah, very soon. 100%. Life is very short. Yeah, it's 100% not going to last. 100% Nobody, it's not going to last. <laughs> Nobody gets out alive, right? <laughs> no one. And still, it's uh, people run through life accumulating shit. Yeah. And, and, and missing, missing opportunities to just take it all in and enjoy it. And when a guy like Prince, one of the undeniable things that he left was, uh, I mean, you'll always have his catalog of work to make people happy. Like, he left uh, an undeniable impact on people. You know, to this day, uh, I will pull out I Want to Be Your Lover because that was, like, the, the first big hit. And, like, that's still to this day a fucking badass song. Absolutely. You know what, what really kills me, though, is when you get an artist who people just weren't ready for and they're only, they're only showing love after they die. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That kind of kills me. That's going to be the case here. You know, for sure. He's going to get, well, he was always showing love, but he'll be showing a lot more love. People yeah. appreciate him now that they know it's ended. What you going to do? I mean, that's what happened to Michael Jackson. You know, Michael Jackson, before he died, um, people weren't nearly as interested in him as mm -hmm. he was like once he died. Like once he died, then his catalog went through the roof and everybody wanted to buy the old stuff up and all the print stuff is like charting now you know mm -hmm. it's uh man i was thinking about bill hicks the other day and how he died yeah at, at his mom's in arkansas he well you he know knew what I mean? it was going down for a while he had pancreatic cancer and it was it's a particularly brutal kind of cancer apparently especially in the 90s when bill died of it mm -hmm. and he he knew and just went to his mom's place to die but just thinking about that like you just sort of Never made it, made it. He you know what I mean? Yeah. And then he dies, and then all of a sudden, everybody says, oh, he was the best. He was one of the best comics of all time, you know? He was certainly one of the most influential, no Absolutely. doubt about it. He he changed so many people's perception of like what comedy could be. He like opened up a whole new way. He's mm -hmm. like, well, comedy could do that, too. And everybody was like, ooh, nobody did that before. Yeah. And he had a like a consciousness to his comedy, or a, like an elevation sort of thing to his comedy, where he's trying to change your thought process along with make you laugh yeah very different thing it's hard it's hard to get to that place that's yeah. the place you always want to get to some people are just born there you yeah. know what i mean like mm -hmm. like we're talking about prince he was prince when he started he had the third eye when he started you know what i mean i yeah. think it takes some people some time on stage to figure themselves out it takes a few years of like making mistakes mm -hmm. listening to too many people yeah yeah, you could definitely get off on bad paths, and you got to recorrect, come back. You have to. I mean, there's a, you know, there's a learning process to everything. That's what's so difficult with cell phones nowadays. It's like you can't learn in private. You know, you mm -hmm. used to be able to go on stage and like practice kind of in front of people, which is the best practice. You know, 
but now everything's filmed. You right. know, even your shit that you're trying to work out, mm-hmm. you can't like just be so free. Do you That's know what I mean? A big with big deal with stand up. That's a big deal with stand up because the bits, if you hear them. And then you hear the finished product. It will, if you hear the like the starting, you, like you should ideally hear it, hear it for the first time, in in a full form, in completed form. But sure. a lot of people along the way, well, people enjoy that process though, like coming to the comedy store and watching people stumble through an idea that they're not exactly sure, and then they'll see that bit maybe six months later on a television special or something. Sure. Go, oh, I figured it out. But um, yeah, it's. But you could also choose as a fan to not seek that stuff out, I, I think. But people do. Yeah. And I, you know, it, it it stops me from wanting to play songs I don't really know. Wow. Absolutely. Because you worry that like a video of it getting out there, of being kind of in the halfway... Hacking my way yeah. through a new song. Yeah. I wouldn't do it. Fuck. Absolutely. Well, have you I seen some of really those stifled, things? I think it's really stifled mo- uh, some modern performing. Have you seen some of the things that Chappelle has done and um, um, Hannibal Buress has done? They take these bags and you put your cell phone in it I when you go in it. and it's sealed. And mm-hmm. when you're in the room, you literally can't open the bag. And then if you leave the room, somehow there's some sensor and it allows you to open the bag. It seems like a ridiculous idea, but the more I think about it, it seems like uh, it's the kind of thing that people may fight, but then thank you for afterwards. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. For the exp- the experience themselves. Like They're like, you- holy shit, I haven't yeah. really paid attention to anything for an hour and a half, two hours uh, for years. Right. Do you know what I mean? Well, if you go to a concert now, all you see is phones up and people watching the concert through phones. Yeah. I mean, you see this. You see people doing this all the time. Like you'll, you'll see a sea of cell phones at these arenas and it's weird. <laughs> they used to reach out and try to touch me. <laughs> now they have to reach out with their cell phones and try to... <laughs> To try to take a picture. Did you notice a shift? Or it slowly, like, you know, almost like people were infected by phones, like ticks? Fuck yeah, man. I mean, when we started, I was, I was a flip phone generation, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Those are too problematic. It's too hard to take a picture with. Yeah. Some people were into it, but most people left them in their pockets. Yeah, no, because the pictures sucked. <laughs> I mean, it's not something you want to brag about. Now, everybody's like the best photographer ever. Yeah. With the iPhone. Yeah, they're so good now, and they're getting better all the time. And they're also putting those little lenses on them. They make it even better. They slide a little lens over the top of it. You see a lot of that. But people aren't experiencing it in a pure way. You know, you're not going to it and just sitting there and taking in the show. Instead, you're going into it, and you're aware that you're recording it, and you want to make sure you get it in frame, and you make sure you got a good part that's going to look good on your Facebook or wherever the fuck you're going to put it. You're missing... Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll, uh, you're not giving in to the experience of the music or the show or whatever you're going to see. hundred percent. Yeah. Life is not as good with cell phones, I think. But I have it in my hand all day long. <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't say that life is not as good. It's more challenging because it doesn't prevent you from putting it away. But it makes it very addictive. It's very hard to put it away. But you could. I think it's the kind of, th- I think it's the kind of thing where, like, your life would be better if you didn't have it. You would be able to experience life more. You'd pay more attention to your kids. You'd have more real, true love. You know, you wouldn't be taking fucking selfies to post. You'd actually be hugging them genuinely. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? I think... Uh, Can you do both? I don't think so. <laughs> I've not met that person. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I, I love the data, though. I love all the information. I love so the it's coming I'm addicted you. to it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, there's always something new. There's always some new story that's out. There's some new revelation, scientific invention, experiment that was done. That some 
there's some new shit always constantly mm-hmm. it's like the amount of data that we're getting now is but is it making us has it made us better I don't know. Do you think you you think you're happier since you've have like Google in your pocket twenty four seven? I'm happy if someone starts talking shit and I know they're wrong. <laughs> I whip out my phone. Wrong, son. You just Google. That's nice. Really? You the Google data. Yeah. I mean, See, because before you would have left that party like, fuck. I got to learn more about something. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, <laughs> maybe I would have left that party. I gotta read going, that guy book. is full of shit. I know he's full of shit. I just wish I had my phone. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. Well, wait. I, you did, leave parties thinking people are full of shit? That's weird. No. I'm in saying LA? If, if, someone, if I didn't have a phone. Yeah. If you if you leave a party in LA and you don't think someone Someone's was full, full of shit, shit, you're in the wrong party. <laughs> There's definitely a lot of that out here. Or maybe you're just where you need to be. I don't... <laughs> I can't say I really go to parties. Um, I might have been to a dozen parties out here in my entire life. Yeah? Yeah. Probably. So that, it's busy uh, working. nobody inviting you? Yeah, or like you just him, don't yeah. go. Busy working. I mean, like, at nights, first of all, I don't have a lot of friends that put on parties. That's not normal. I mean, maybe like a pool party or something like that. You go over to a buddy's house and you'll barbecue. But that, you know, <laughs> like a party party. I've been to a few of those, like, Hollywood parties where you're walking around and you go, oh, there's Drew Barrymore. How fucking weird. And you go into another room. This is Ben Stiller. How fucking weird. And you feel totally out of place and you got to get out of there as quick as you can. I've been to a couple of those, but... Never sought them out. They always seem odd. Yeah, you know? I, I don't love them so much. We uh, we stay at the um, the chateau. Often, of course you do. You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> that's your spot. It has to be. I mean, <sighs> that's the spot in Hollywood. That's the authentic so, spot. It's so cliche, but I mean, I've just been there. Yeah, sleeping in the bed where you know Belushi died, just like raging yeah you know what i mean yeah learning nothing from his mistakes (laughs) you know what i mean yeah jesus christ i've woken up at that in that in that uh, place like blood on the walls just like what happened (laughs) have we learned nothing from this guy's death do you think that places like that contain memory there's a there's a real thought and we've we've brought it up before comics at the comedy store because the comedy store used to be Ciro's nightclub. It was owned by Bugsy Siegel, mm-hmm. you know, the mobster. And so there's murders that were there. There's there definitely murder. There was a murder that was there just a year ago. Somebody got murdered on the front patio at the comedy store. Where like the rich history of weirdness and of comedy, it seems to be in the walls. Do you feel like that about the Chateau Marmont? Because if you go to that place, I mean, is there one place more synonymous with Hollywood debauchery than that yeah. place? I mean, that like... That might be the hotel in Hollywood where you think of like Johnny Depp's doing blow and Jack Nicholson is banging these hookers and ah, it's just that's the place, right? Yeah, uh, I, I I think that that place just caters. I mean, as soon as you walk in, it's like this. I yeah. mean, it's dark, thick right. curtains, mm-hmm. no cops. Do whatever right. you want. Right? You know what I mean? We'll watch. We'll guard the door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think there are places that have magic in them. I think that there are places that you can't, you just can't explain. Mm. Like Muscle Shoals. You know, we cut a record in Muscle Shoals. Right. It's magic. Really? They say that, you know. Well, I know they, they have that documentary that Native about Americans it. live there and that there's like, you know, it was spiritual land. And, but, I mean, I, it was, it's special. There's something there that you're able to get in touch with yourself easier i don't know what it is is it something in the recording studio itself or is there something in the town i don't think so because there, there are multiple studios there and they all they all produce great stuff there's there are still great musicians coming out of muscle shoals and 
you know, it's just, there are certain places that are just, I don't know what it is. Is it possible that those buildings, that those recording studios have memory? That there's like a something, an intangible, something you can't put on a scale, you can't measure it. Because the comedy store feels like a place with memory. Yeah. And that's why I always ask. Because I, I, I took seven years off that place, and I went back about a year and a half ago. And I, to this day, I remember going back again and going, oh, there's that feeling again. Like, but this did you is know a the history? Place. You knew the history before oh. you went into the place, though. So it was before you even got there, it was magic to you. Yes, it was, it was always, like that for me in Muscle yeah. Shoals. Mm-hmm. I went into the studio. I was like, oh, man. Yeah. That's where Eddie Hinton, you know, took a shit in that bathroom right there. It's like... It's like, uh, I think that, I don't know, if, if you didn't, if somebody didn't know ahead of time and they went in there, they would think it was just as magic as you did. Yeah, maybe, you're right. It's one of those things that you don't know, because you have these preconceived ideas about it that are on, just, you can't, sh- that was Mecca for comedians. Mm-hmm. So Muscle Shoals, did, did Skinner record there as well? Um, I think Skinner, yeah, Skinner, rec- I think so. I'm pretty sure they recorded there. The Rolling, like, Rolling Stones recorded there. So many fantastic. Aretha recorded there, and uh, I mean, they cut so many tracks there. Yeah, like as uh, this one spot. There's like a waffle for, house yeah. there. There's nothing there. There's yeah. no, no reason anybody would go to Muscle Shoals, and it, it was the recording mecca. Why? Wow. You know what I mean? It's not close to any major metropolis. It's like. Uh, you know, how else, how else do you explain that? Well, there's this guy named Rupert Sheldrake. I think his official title, he's an evolutionary biologist, and he thinks that there's memory in everything. He thinks you can't, you can't extract it, but he thinks that there's memory in wood, there's memory in stones, there's memory in trees. He's like, that's why people don't like the idea of a haunted house. Mm-hmm. Like, we kind of inherently know that someone, if someone died in a house, some, some horrific tragedy took place in a house, that house actually has that sadness and that feeling in it. Mm-hmm. It's a part of the house now. Ooh. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I believe it. I don't either, man. I think we, we, we create the history in our mind before we, even, before we even get there. You know what I mean? That's totally possible. Yeah. I mean, my I, dad... I, I just got a new guitar, and it was, it was a guitar that was owned by one of my favorite musicians of all time. Uh, this guy named Mississippi Fred McDowell. What a name. And I swear that it's magic, but, you know, it's just a guitar. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can feel it. It might be magic, though. Well, I mean, it might have something in it. But also it might have just something in it just because you know it was his. So abs- that's what I'm saying. It means, I'm just saying. But that's still, it's still real, right? Like that, that amount of magic is you still You would have real. to prove to me that, that someone felt it who didn't know ahead of time. Right, but not really because it works on you. Like, magic doesn't have to work on everybody. Well, then I would explain it that I th- already thought it was magic. Right. Do you know what I mean? You already thought it was magic, but because you did, it is. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know if I would describe that as magic. I don't know, man. I feel like if I um, had a notebook that Richard Pryor wrote in, mm-hmm. well, you would never write in it. You would save it. That's not a good example. But like if somebody gave me like Rich, if Rich Pryor had a laptop and he wrote some great shit on his laptop mm-hmm. and then someone sold it and I had that laptop, I'd be like, holy shit. Magic laptop. All of a sudden it would be magic. Your jokes are just all yeah. fire. Everything you write. Well, you would, you would think like I have to do this laptop justice. This is the laptop of the great one. You know, yeah. I have to. This, this, I, there's no bullshitting around with this thing. Yeah. You would think about it that way. It would be. That's the idea behind like things being sacred is that, like if things if you decide things are sacred, then they are sacred. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
It's it's up to you to believe. Yeah, and if you treat them as sacred, then there's they're they as real as you want them to yes. be, and and life is short. And if yes. you want to believe in magic, then it's real. Do you know? I want to go run a mountain right now. <laughs> God damn it, Dan! I mean, all I say? do every day is go into the studio and like make something out of nothing. Like complete, yeah. it feels like magic to me still. Yeah. I wake up in the morning, I'm so excited. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it feels like Christmas every morning. That's And awesome. that's magic to me. It's like, that's, that's, what I, that's what I live for. You know? I don't even, uh, like, but I don't know anything else. Like, I've never really had a real job. You know, I worked at my uncle's restaurant. But that, you know, that's it. It's all I've ever done. Perfect. You don't need to do, I mean, everybody's got a different path. You don't I have to do so. other shit. I Why do so. anything else if you still enjoy it, you still appreciate it, and the music is amazing? Why fuck Sometimes around? Sometimes it makes it hard to relate to other people. Right. You know what I mean? Just hang around musicians only. <laughs> <laughs> Just stay close. Not all musicians are only, like well, that, well, other, Not all musicians Well, ones like that. that are. Find, yeah. the, find the ones that are. I don't know, man. It's just me and Sturgill staring at each other in Nashville. That's it. Just yeah. The two of us. I've been a huge fan of the Black Keys for a long time, man. So for me to have you on is a, is a real honor, oh, a real treat. Thanks a lot. You guys are so interesting because the the music is so hard to define. Like there's different s- styles in in different albums, and it seems like you guys go off in these like really eclectic ways and paths. And there's so much content. Like you guys have put out so many songs. You're so prolific. Yeah, I, I, again, like, I, I don't know how else to do it. You know, I don't know what, I don't understand how people go into the studio and take some fucking week to do one song. They don't smoke weed. <laughs> I don't always smoke weed, you know, but I've done records not with, with no weed, plenty of them, you know, I, but I still do two songs a day. Well, I think you just love it. And I, I think if love you it, love yeah. something and you just give it that energy and it's obviously giving you a lot of positive results. Well, the thing is, I think that people get so caught up with worrying about what other people think. They just like overanalyze. Mm. And it's so hard to get really in touch with something special when you're worrying so much about everybody else. You know what I mean? That's a real aspect of social media that I think some people struggle with. Totally. But it's a real thing, too. You mm-hmm. know, there are a lot of very opinionated you know, places that review music that are very, like, into the trends. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And it, I can see how that could be crippling to a kid who's just trying to, like, make music, you know? Yeah. Well, any form of criticism where people didn't like a performance, uh, even if it's correct, still is d- painful for people to hear. And if you're hearing, if you, like, put together something and then it gets reviewed by a magazine or something and it gets poorly reviewed. Yeah, but not being able to take criticism is a sign of weakness. I right. mean, you... You know, you have to know that. You have to grow into that. And also, music is so ri- ridiculously subjective. And there's yeah. stuff that people love that I can't listen to. Sure. And there's stuff that I love that people are like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, it's just always going to be that way. Sure. And you have one person's take on it, and it's the best thing ever, and another person's take on it, they're, they fell asleep halfway through it. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. You know? There are records like that where... But then, again, at the same... on. on on the same hand, it's like, there are records that people played me. I'm like, what the fuck is this? I hate this. <laughs> and then five years later, it's my favorite thing. Uh, yeah. I wasn't ready for it. I didn't quite understand it. I, w- I, did, I didn't hear it in the right setting. Do you know what I mean? Set and but that's also what's important. beautiful about music and art is that it grows with you. It can. The best of it 
can really grow with you. Yeah. You know? Yeah, the hearing the right song at the right time can leave like a psychic imprint on you of that song. And you always will associate that song with that moment. Sure. Powerful moments. Yeah. Things that change you forever. How old were you when you started doing music? Um, I was always around music. My dad had a great record collection, always playing music. My mom played piano and her whole family played bluegrass. Oh, wow. So that's what made me want to play music was I wanted to play music with my uncles. They sat around in circles at my aunt and they would play Stanley Brothers songs and you know, my grandma died, we all sang around her her um uh grave, you know. I mean it's just like music is a real part of my my family. Wow. So it's just always been there. That must have been crazy. You all sat around her grave and sang. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we sang her favorite songs. Whoa. It was really nice. That is really nice. Angel Band by the, by the Stanley Brothers. It's one of my favorite songs ever. How many people were singing? Six. Wow. Six people. We brought our instruments. Mm-hmm. A lot of crying? Uh, I'm crying n- just thinking about n- it. No. No, Such I mean, it was, it was her favorite thing, you know? It was her, she loved to sit in the living room and listen to her kids play music. It That's was a- like, uh, and it's the reason I'm here now. Wow. It really is. I mean, I, it, because music has just really been such a part of my life. Well, that's awesome when someone finds something that they really just tune into like that. And then you see them just pursuing it with such wild abandon. I mean, that's, that's what everybody, as a fan, that's what, what someone hopes for the most. That the person who puts out the sound that you love is really into it and does it all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's been... The only thing I can really focus on since I was about 15. Wow. Yeah. I mean, girl, <laughs> girls and music was pretty much it. I stopped messing around with sports, really. Yeah, that was it. Well, you guys figured it out, man. You, I you guess. Got, you, you I don't got know. That, sta- that I mean, sound nailed. I mean, we put out like five records before we even had a song on the radio. Did, so, I mean, yeah, but people were already talking about it before you guys had songs on the radio. Mm-hmm. You had such an authentic sound that you had already had a lot of momentum, but it was it was the cool thing to like that no one knew about yet. It was we had a great fan base before we had uh radio success. Yeah, we were, we've been really blessed like every every year was better than the one before. What is your take on what's going on now with radio? Cuz it, it's it must be strange to watch this business go from being something where you buy an actual physical thing to digital downloads. And I mean, what has it been like to watch us all move into the internet? It's pretty depressing. It's, yeah. it's really depressing. I don't think people can make connections with music like they used to, you know, when you used to, when you owned something and you sat so, with it and listened, you know, Yeah, you know, like sat, I had an uncle. It's just too disposable. Yeah. You know, like sitting down with a, an album, opening the album, putting the headphones on. Yeah, not to even talk about how you know how the artists are treated with streaming. I mean, it's just it's totally criminal. Well, the streaming thing's weird, right? It's criminal. Well, explain it. I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I couldn't tell you numbers, but you know, I mean, just like YouTube, you know, they just pay artists fractions of what they should be paying, and it's just it's not treated like a real. Um, valued thing anymore mm. you know what i mean well we were discussing this the other day about streaming services that one of the weirdest things about it is all they're selling is artists work right i mean that's all you have you can't stream anything unless someone creates it that's all you have 
So that is what you're selling. So th- who's making all the money and why? And what's, you know, what is, how, how has that worked out? And right now there's a lot of opportunism going on and a lot of people are jockeying for a better slice of the pie and a better position. But we were talking about um, Spotify and all those different things and how, how little money the artists actually get out of it. Mm-hmm. It's weird. It is weird. It is weird, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine like going playing gigs at the Moore Theater and then saying, oh, we're just going to pay you uh, streaming money, not the real gig money. You know what yeah. I mean? It would be like, that would make no sense, right? I mean, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, you, you, you have a product that you invested your time and money into. It should be no different, really, right? Well, I think there should be some sort of established number. Like, you should be able to figure out how much money are they making from it. Like, how much money are they making if they play your, uh, one of your albums? True. Do you know? Streaming, sir? On streaming? Yeah. Point zero zero five cents for a click for those. And if you buy the Drew's album, how mic. how much is it per song? How much are they paying per song? For a, for a physical copy. If you buy the album, like on iTunes or on like a CD, CD or iTunes. What is the different? Uh, what's the comparison to those? If a song is ninety nine cents, you're looking at thirty forty cents. No one can hear you, but he said if the song is ninety nine cents, you're looking at thirty or forty cents. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, as difference. compared to streaming, which is what'd you say? Point zero 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 five. Is that what you said? Yeah. Oh, for time songs click. So every time someone clicks on it, it has to play for like ten seconds. And oh God! This <laughs> is mass consumption. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it all started with uh, being able to put it on a server somewhere, right? It all started from being digital. That's where things got odd, where you could take someone's stuff and you don't need any special recording equipment to make copies. You make copy on your computer instantaneously. You upload that copy, and then that copy is shared by X amount of people who just continually download it and share it. Things get weird. They get real weird when it becomes a digital entity, something that's out there in space, and then figuring out how you make money off of it. But I would feel like a, a streaming platform, all they have is someone's work. If if no one lets them put their stuff up, mm-hmm. then they don't have anything, right? Yeah. Like the only benefit for you guys would be more exposure, which would help like ticket sales. You know the the major record labels own portions of these streaming services too. Oh, it gets pretty deep. I mean, it's it's oh. uh, it's just intertwined nastiness, and the artist pretty much falls at the bottom of the of the barrel. So the record labels have done the same thing that they used to do with physical records. And now they've done it with the streaming thing. They've just hamstringed everybody. Wow, that's great. So should people not use those streaming services? Is that the way to go? I mean, ultimately, probably. I mean, artists probably shouldn't allow it, but it's like, um, you can't. Yeah. You know, you have to put it on there. I don't know. So, uh, I should have come. I should have come with a spreadsheet. And do you pie, have the pie options? Charts. Like, do you have the options? Yeah. So, like, when they come to you and they say, "Hey, Dan, we would want to put Absolutely. all your," and you could say, "No, thank you." Yeah. Is that what you say, or do you let them put it up there? We don't have anything on title, you know, but we uh, we have it on iTunes. They still pay it. I mean, they pay the highest royalty rate, right? Uh, iTunes. On, on a download. Yeah. 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 How's Google Play? 
Because they're doing, they have I don't, that I have now, no right? Idea. That's the newest one? I have no idea. You know, Google kind of, they co-own YouTube. So they get all that YouTube money. Right. But don't they have to pay for like bandwidth and shit too? Isn't that all that expensive? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But it's a we- it's weird how the world just changed. It's like, I'm, I'm a musician. Now I have to worry about fucking this business side of shit now. Yeah. And we all have to like know about who owns all these little portions of this shit. I mean, it's like... That's why we get taken advantage of. Because right. we're just trying to be artists and trying to make music. We have to come, become college professors to even figure out our record deals. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's really unfair. And when you sign a kid to a record deal, it's like they, they pretty much are signing their life on the line. You know? I'm sure you read that piece that Courtney Love wrote years back. I don't think I've ever read anything Courtney Love has written. It was pretty famous because a lot of people accused her of using a ghostwriter because it was so well done. But it was a piece breaking down. Like, if you didn't know that she was the one who wrote it, uh-huh. you would go, whoa, this is a scathing review of how the money is distributed in the record business. And uh, it was pretty shocking when you look at it from terms of actual revenue to what actually trickles down to the artist. The only thing that they're selling, the artist's work, and how these these contracts are, s- are set up to fuck people over. But they've been around forever, and there's these giant machines, right? They have so many employees, they kind of have to justify keeping all these buildings and having all these employees, and there's a lot of money that needs to be earned just to keep this thing floating, right? Well, it got so engorged. Yeah, it's a tick. At the height of physical sales, right? Yeah. It's it's hard to, like, get used to a certain lifestyle, right? I mean, you're going to move back into an apartment next week and, like... uh, yeah, it would suck. You wouldn't want to. You'd, you'd try to figure out how to, you might cut his pay a little bit maybe to offset, you know? Yeah, that's what they did. Yeah, they just wanted to keep, well, they, they had to downsize quite a bit. I, re- I used to love record stores. I mean, the, the record last, stores. The last real job I had was in a record store. Like really? The last time I was ever really taxed before being a musician. I worked at Quonset Hut Records in Akron, Ohio, and it was awesome. I learned so much there. I, I, I learned so much cool shit. People hit me to so much great music that I never would have heard of. Well, back then, that was the way you could find out about it. You'd go to the record stores, and aficionados would let you know about Guys cool who stuff. dedicated their lives to learning about this stuff. You know what I mean? They're yeah. like essentially college professors of music. Yeah. Right? The guys that I worked with were pretty much geniuses. They were all like 45, 55-year-old guys with like, their living room was just all records. You know what wow. I mean? Wow. And they would teach me things. Every time I would go in, they're like, oh, so you've never heard this? Well, then you got to hear this, and you got to hear this. And it changed me, you know? Isn't it funny that that is not like a respected quality in the mainstream world, but being a no, Somalier is? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Being a guy who can like swish wine around and tell you what part of France it was grown, like that's, that's something we look at and we go, oh, he's a sophisticated Somalier. But like, oh, that dude, he knows a lot about 60s jazz. Nobody yeah. gives a shit. Nobody gives a shit. Yeah, you loser. Look I don't give a shit about sommeliers, though. So, I mean, I don't know. you got to come up with a different yeah, <laughs> comparison. But, but you know what I mean? Like, for a lot of people, it's sure. it, it's a it's a big, fancy, schmancy type thing. Well, you know, I mean, it's all, it's all a bunch of horseshit. I mean, yeah. it's like, just because you don't have a college degree in it, yeah. it's not taken seriously. But what really is a college degree at the end of the day? Well, when it comes to music... I mean, imagine if the only good musicians were musicians who had PhDs in 
in music theory. No. It would be like North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, could you even put together the kind of music that you guys made? If if you really like <laughs> thought about it in that way, like your your stuff is so uniquely creative, you know, what like you have a you guys had a sound for a lot of your songs. It's like you would you would hear it and even though it was interesting and unique and different from the previous song, you could tell it was a Black Keys song. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was coming from two guys mm-hmm. you know it's clearly coming from two guys i think as soon as you add a lot of theory and overproduction and different people overseeing things and looking for the right amount of beats per minute and all that jazz listen man it's like the greatest people are just the greatest people when you if you could be around richard pryor and watch him you would feel the magic you would see the way he walks, the way he touches his lips, the way he, you know, like when I'm hanging out with Dr. John, I see it. I'm like, holy shit, this guy is like from another planet. You know what I mean? He's just, you can't teach that. It's just, it's total magic, you know? I, I can't even imagine like in L.A., Dr. John used to be here doing session work. Mm. Well, that's like when Phil Spector was making records and stuff like that, you know? It would be a studio full of Dr. Johns, people that just had their own, their own thing about them. You know what I mean? Total self-confidence, their own style, no theory, no bullshit. It was just like, this is, oh, this is what he does, and we're going to incorporate this, and this with 12 other guys who have their own thing. It's like magic. You know what I mean? And that's the cool thing about studios. We kind of lose now because people can't afford to have studios, and things change so much over time it, it gets depressing the more i work with these older older guys who are just insane it's just so, so hard to describe you know it, it really is, feels like magic was it because everything they were doing was completely analog no because it was a performance and you right. had to like not only did you have to come up with the part on the spot you had to kind of improvise you had to play perfectly behind the beat you had to like you had to just like I don't, it's just hard to explain. You had to just kind of be able to understand the nuance of everything going on around you. And there's less of that now? I think that it's harder when people don't get to record together and make music together, which is the case. You know what I mean? Because it's, you don't really make money playing music unless you reach a certain level. And it's so much harder to now than it ever was before. It's harder to reach a certain level. Yeah, it's just. But doesn't YouTube and things along those lines, don't, doesn't it help some people reach a higher level quicker without the need for mainstream media? I don't know. You don't know? I don't know. Beats me. I don't know anybody who, like, got their start on YouTube. Didn't Honey Honey Band, didn't they become famous from YouTube? I think that's what started all. Well, it's a combination of things. It's hard to nail down on one. Yeah, I mean, we didn't do that. I mean, we, we we were like hit the road and we like playing shows and we just kept, you know, hitting up city. So I just, I wouldn't know. Cause right. I, don't, I don't know. I don't have experience with that. So tell me about the ARCs. Mm. Well, the ARCs is just a group of friends of mine who I've made records with for years. Guys who make some of my favorite records. Leon Michaels, Richard Swift, um, Homer Steinweiss and, and Nick Mofshon. They're just great musicians you know and uh we've made different records together in in various forms for different people and then when we had free time we would record for ourselves just for fun just making stuff up 
And um, Leon and I, about a year and a half ago, got together just to, like, categorize them, put them in a folder to see what we had. And we had, like, 70 songs that were just sitting there. So we're like, what are we doing? You know, let's let's, uh, figure out a way to, like, share this music. And um, so we just kind of came up with the arcs, and that was our platform. That's insane that you had 70 songs. 70 songs, yeah. I mean, every time we get in the studio together with like two or three songs, we'll just, we can just make them up, you know? Wow. When you go into the studio, do you have any idea, if you're, if you're in a session where you might improvise and come up with new stuff, do you have any idea of what direction you're going to go in, or do you have a concept, or do you just go free ball? You, you kind of, I just always uh, free ball, I guess. Have you always done it that way? Yeah. So For the most part. I mean, I I don't... I have had some songs written ahead of time, but that's more recently. When I started it, we, it was complete, we were just making shit up. I mean, Black Keys album, we were just totally improvised. And so when you imp- improvise, would you have someone recording it as you were doing it, or would you write down the lyrics? Ourselves. We did it all ourselves. In the basement, it was just the two of us, and we had a four-track cassette recorder, and then we had like a digital recorder. Um... Yeah, no, I mean, we, we didn't have anybody helping us. Wow. <laughs> well, that's why it was so cool. I mean, that's why it was such a, you know, there's... I'll do, I'll do big sessions now, and there'll be, like, an assistant running around, like, taking notes, like, what guitar I'm using and shit, and I'm like, what's oh, this guy doing? Distraction. It's so interesting. No, I mean, but it's just, I just never had that, you know, growing up. It just feels so weird. So would you guys would you guys record it initially as you were improvising it, or would you improvise it and get it down and then record it? We or? would improvise it. Usually, usually like um, the first or second take is, is the one that's best, even with the mistakes. It has the best feeling. For me, the more that you focus on stuff, the, 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 I guess the more boring it gets. You, you lose that like, initial spark. Dude, what a fucking cool life you have. <laughs> you make cool sounds. And then you release them. I, uh, I'm not complaining. Fuck, man. It's so cool the way you describe it, too. You just kind of go in there and fall into the trance and, and make the sounds. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's only gotten better, the feeling. I mean, I, I, you know, I work harder than anybody I know. I get up in the morning, I start working, and I don't work till I'm asleep. I don't stop till I'm asleep. You know, every day. So do you, do you, I, you think know, of it as work, or do you think of it as like <clears throat> when I get paid, I think of it as work. But when I'm doing it, I never think of it as work. So when the checks come, it's work. It was must have done some work. But while you're doing it, work. it's just passion. Like Absolutely. how would you describe? It? Yeah, it's. I feel so lucky being able to go in the studio. Man. I love hearing shit like this, man. Go and living in Nashville too, which is a place that is Music City, USA. You know, I mean. You know, you could argue that rock and roll started there with, you know, Pretty Woman. Right. That riff was done. Wayne Moss did that riff right down the street. Um, uh, You know, it's just like, I I just love that stuff. I love learning from those guys. I love being around that. It's just so much fun for me. You know, know, I had um, Wheeler Walker Jr. in here the other day. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were talking about Nashville, and he was talking about the money machine being behind Nashville now and how strange it is that you have some real music in that town, but then you also have this stuff that is just concocted because it looks like it would do numbers in Walmart. Yeah. But, you know, where where doesn't that happen? On some 
at some level. It's a music business. Yeah, it's you're always going to have that, right? Yeah, it's a business. I mean, you're always going to have douche holes making a lot of money, a lot more money than you. You know what I mean? But the thing that that's so great about that, I don't fucking ever see that. I'm never around that. I don't fuck with that at all. You know what I mean? And I've been in Nashville six years, seven years, something like that. But the thing that's so cool about that is they really do uh, uh, hold up that infrastructure. And like if I run out of tape, I make a phone call and somebody delivers me reel-to-reel tape in like 10 minutes. Really? Where else can you d- that happen? You know what I mean? If that big business wasn't going on, it wouldn't make it so easy for me to be around so many great musicians. A lot of these country guys that I work with, um, you know, they're embarrassed uh, with some of the shit that they play on. They they'll like won't tell me because they're uh. so embarrassed how bad it is. <laughs> but... But it's the reason they're there and healthy and right. able to come in and work with me. You know what I mean? Right. So you, you can't complain about it and then reap all the benefits. You know what I mean? So I understand there's like positive and negatives. That's very honest of you. That's mm. a good way of looking at it too. That's a very good perspective because it's not like it hurts you. You know? If you I've drive ne- down the street and see a Burger King, it doesn't hurt you if you don't go in there and eat. I, I'm, I make a living playing music in Nashville and I'm, I never see it. That's interesting. Well, you just surround yourself with a tight-knit group. I guess I never leave home, so. Well, yeah. Well, that's, how, <laughs> that's how you never see it. Yeah, yeah Nashville is, for, for a lot of musicians, like, that is the, that's the remaining mecca, right? Um, well, for, for certain musicians. People who love uh, country and bluegrass, it's definitely the place to be, you know? Bluegrass still lives in Nashville more than anywhere else, I'd say. It seems like this is a really good time for country. It seems like country is ex- experiencing a resurgence right now. Like real country. Yeah. I think that, um, I have no idea, really. I don't know what to say about that. No? I don't <laughs> like know, you're man. In, you're in the mix, though. <laughs> I was going to say there. something stupid about people you... buying records at Walmart, but I don't oh, know, man. Whatever. Well, that's very nice of you to pull back. <laughs> What a good guy. Look out, look you felt out. it. You're like, yeah. look, look at me getting smart with mm. age. <laughs> it's also weed. Weed has me double, triple thinking stuff, too. <laughs> Pull it back, son. No need for conflict. No, I, I mean, uh, I mean, it's, you know, country country uh, fans buy more out, more physical copies than anyone. Oh, really? By, by far, yeah. No kidding. Yeah, absolutely. Really? Yeah. Huh. They probably still use those, those CD things. Probably have those Walkmen, so make the big hip ones with the, the big <laughs> Why rubber, are they always rubber yellow? thing, the knee. Why are those things always yellow? Yeah, that's a good question. And they just like... Uh, yeah, they can never be black. They're always <laughs> yellow. That's true. It's like hazard. There was always like a hazard to them or something. Like they were... Big... All I wanted was that big yellow disc and a Tony Hawk skateboard. It's like mm. all I ever wanted. Well, I remember when they figured out a way to have some sort of buffering so that when you were playing the CD, you could actually jump around a little bit and move and it wouldn't skip. It was crazy. What did and they I call remember that? When that There's happened. a name for that. ESP. ESP? 10-second ESP. That's right. ESP. Yeah. yeah. It was a buffering that they had, and it was a magical thing. Skip protection. Something. Skip yeah. Protection. Something. Electronic skip protection is what it is? There it is. And then once they figured out how to go digital, all that shit died. <laughs> Can you imagine they used to have record players in cars? Did they? Just, yeah. For real? Some early cars used to have that option. Wow. My friend Javier, <laughs> his mom had an 8-track. I never forgot. We listened to Pablo Cruz. When my baby smiles at me, I go to Rio. And it was in those 8-track things. I'm like, this is a what is crazy space-age contraption this lady has in her car. Just p- push this box in there and it plays music. It was amazing, <laughs> you know? 
oh, look at this. This is crazy. There you go. We're looking at a woman playing 45s in her car. What kind of car is it? That's a record player. This is nuts. <laughs> that is nuts. It's a record player like where the ashtray sort of would be in a conventional car. Wow. That's crazy. Every two and a half minutes, you have to like look down and flip a record. Can you imagine? Those old cars, man. There was something about those old cars, too. There were there were a rolling piece of artwork as well. There was some design and art to them that just you can't. Once you start going with aerodynamics and miles per gallon and airbags and boop, 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 boop. All yeah, this shit happening on the dash. It's like, yeah, there's something with those cars. It's just so extraordinary. I got to see a car the other day with this, this digital touchscreen thing. It was like Tesla. Was it a Tesla? No, I've never been in a Tesla. I don't remember what it was, but. God, it was just so weird. Yeah, a lot of the electric cars have real crazy setups now. Very strange. Yeah. Well, the Tesla is a giant screen, like an enormous laptop screen, Mm -hmm. like a big computer screen. Like, that's what a Tesla screen looks like. I mean, it's like a crazy laptop. Well, that's not a distraction, is it? Uh, By the way, you can get email on that and websites. (laughs) It's like, show me my flight path. You can. You can do all that kind of stuff. You can do Spotify on that, too, where you can press a, a little button and ask it to, uh, you know, play Michael Jackson or play Michael Jackson songs. <laughs> That's so stupid. It's so big. It's, it totally it seems like it's in the way. a huge flat screen on your dash, man. Is that a YouTube video, that guy's on the right-hand side? You can play YouTube videos while you drive. So, that's so dangerous. Did you see that guy that got killed in Detroit? He was jacking off in his car. He crashed his car with his pants down, died in the accident. He was watching porn, jacking off as he was driving. And the state pr- troopers, when they got to the wreck, dude has pants down, porn playing on his phone. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, his kids. There man, is pamphlet so driver in Detroit out. dies in wreck watching porn. Did they make his? They use his name. Got it. Yep, Clifford not. Ray Jones. Oh shit! <laughs> Partially ejected through the sunroof when his 1996 Toyota rolled, and he was thrown from the vehicle and died. He wasn't wearing pants. Police told the Detroit News. <laughs> oh. oh well. Driver inattention is the leading factor in most crashes and near crashes. Okay. Wait a second. What was he doing? Was he watching a movie? He was jacking off. He was watching porn with his pants off. They said it was a 96 Corolla. Where the fuck did he get the screen in there? Well, he had it in his phone. He was, oh he was watching porn on his phone and jerking off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Kid's an animal. <laughs> oh, wow. He was 58. Oh, my God. You retard. <laughs> Well, he should have known better. Old people in electronics, man. Yeah, he that probably, wasn't because he, he was porn. jerking off. It was just because he was old. Maybe you never know. <laughs> you never know. Are you a car guy? Are you into cars? No, not really. No. I mean, I've got a couple old cars, but no. A couple old cars. Mm-hmm. I, that's what I figured you for. I figured you feel like an MG or something like that. I've got an old um, a Ford um, panel van that I drive around town. You know, a uh, panel van. Yeah, nineteen sixty. Like, like you talking F-150 about like wood bit. panels on the side? No, just a green work truck, you know, with uh, barn doors that open on the back. Really? Yeah. I used to deliver newspapers in one of those. I had a Dodge just like that. I, I love it, man. What do you drive a van for? It's not like a van. It looks like a, it looks pretty cool. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of beat up. I don't have to worry about it. Is that why you like it? Or you can yeah, store stuff I, in I it? I like you can it. Carry I, can, I can carry all my equipment in it. You know, it's really easy. It holds five people. 
And if people want to sit in the back, it holds 10, you know? I don't know. So, dude, you're just all about getting your music done. You don't even it. give a fuck. You're driving around in a panel van, that's getting about, it all beat up. and it. just. I bought a new BMW, like, uh, uh, four years ago. I still have it. It's, like, starting to fall apart already. Really? I, yeah, all these, like, things keep flashing and, like... You take it I to get, get notices it in the mail, at, you know, you recall notices, notices like <laughs> really from a yeah, BMW? airbag may shoot shrapnel at you, you know, it's like what model BMW did you get? Um, it's a, uh, uh, what's it called? The X, uh, X five, X five. It's a diesel. Oh, okay. That's, that's your problem. Which right. is a total pain in the ass trying to find diesel gas. Yeah. That's gross too. You know I mean? Well, the only thing about diesel that's cool is you could grow your own. Like, um, oh, I grow my own. Do you make your own no, diesel? No, I no? don't. <laughs> No, Neil Nobody Young grows, does. Nobody grows their own diesel. No, Neil Young does. No, he doesn't. He makes his own biodiesel. He pays somebody to grow his own diesel, and he makes money off it. Okay, um, you might be right, but I think I, he was trying to be self-sustaining, though. So he might not be selling. Well, maybe it. he is. That's cool. He he's got some yeah. amazing cars. Yeah, he has a gigantic ranch in Northern California, and uh, he does grow his own biodiesel, uh-huh. and he has his cars converted to to use it. Yeah, right. I, I I've heard about that ranch. Like he. He bought it early well, yeah. from the farmer. Yeah, and he has some crazy sound system set up on his lake where he can get in a boat, allegedly. Someone told us this, I believe, on the podcast. <laughs> and he gets out on this boat, and he has the sound system set up where the cute acoustics are perfect when he's in the middle of this pond that he has. And so he has these speakers set up on the side and around the pond, and it just blasts the perfect sound that echoes off the water. Epic. Yeah. He's a bad motherfucker. He's the reason why I had to quit working security at uh, Great Woods in Mansfield, Massachusetts when I was 19 because a riot broke out during a Neil Young concert because people were lighting fires. Have you ever been to Great Woods? Do you know the no. Great Woods Performance Center? Is, Maybe uh, I have. It's, it's an outdoor amphitheater? Yeah, it's an amphitheater. It's covered up into the back area, which is called the lawn. And the back area was literally like a, a sweeping lawn, and mm-hmm. those are cheaper seats. Sure. And when Neil Young was there, people started fires there. They just started lighting garbage on fire, and, and then fights broke out, and then it was just chaos. And I had a jacket. I put a hoodie on over my security guard jacket. I fucking put my hoodie on. I was like, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> I walked out of there. I was like, fuck this place. And I'll, I'll never forget the last time I worked was during a Neil Young concert. And as I was leaving, people were punching people, and there was fire. And I was like, what? I got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, I, I worked at one of those amphitheaters. Blossom Music Center. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Where's that? Outside of Cleveland. Richfield. Another Ohio boy right there. You know Blossom Music Center, yeah. Columbus. I, I used to, me and my buddies used to be the guys in the parking lot with the flags. Why are so many bad motherfuckers from Ohio? What's going on? Why is that state so badass? I don't know. I think that it had, uh, I think that it had a lot of money uh, with all the industry. Mm-hmm. So it had a lot of art. But now that the, now that the industry's gone, you, it's kind of... It's a struggle a bit, but the art's still there. Right. The and ethic, the culture. The culture, right. And the understanding that there's respect for art. I think, it, I, I don't know. I just totally made that up. But You might be right. That might make sense. Did that sound? Uh, there's something. There's something. There's a bunch of astronauts are from Ohio. Tons mm-hmm. of famous. A lot of people I've met just here since I've lived here are from Ohio. Just hanging around comedians yeah. and whatnot. It's a badass place to do stand-up, too. It's one of my favorite places. One of the... Um, uh, one of the f- uh, female astronauts who died in the Challenger explosion was from went to my high school. Where was the female astronaut from that wore the diaper that went to the guy's house to kill him? 
<laughs> Remember that one? She wore the diaper to drive all the way across the country so she didn't have to stop to pee. Oh. What was she going to oh, do? Right. She was oh, going to kidnap that. some girl or something? I remember that. <laughs> I remember Any that. girl is willing to fucking wear an astronaut charged with attempted murder. Anytime a chick is willing to wear a diaper. You fucked her up so bad, she wants to wear a diaper to come and get you. I mean, would you think that a female astronaut would like... She doesn't play games. She wants she to win. She does not play games. Yeah. She's got the right stuff, dude. Absolutely. A rival for another astronaut's affection. Yeah, she attacked a rival for another astronaut's affection at the Orlando International Airport on Monday after driving more than 900 miles from Houston to meet her flight. Whoa. Okay, so this girl was flying, and this crazy bitch said, I'm going to fucking meet you there. <laughs> Wearing a diaper, shitting herself. She only had a four-inch blade and a BB gun, though. She's an astronaut. That's all she needs. She'd kill that bitch with a pop tart. I didn't know that astronauts knew how to kill people. Did they teach you that? They're Americans, goddammit. They learn. Um, I wonder, man. I wonder what she knew. Maybe she just wanted to claw her eyes out or something. Just bite her in the face or something. Yikes. Maybe she didn't really want to kill her. She had a BB gun, though. And a map to the house. <laughs> well, listen. Anybody who's wearing a diaper ain't thinking that straight. Maybe she didn't know it was a BB gun when she picked it up. That's awesome. She had a map to the house. <laughs> little X. Okay. Well, do you know the story about the guy who broke into the White House? Only one guy ever broke into the White House uh -uh. during the Obama administration. And uh, I've been researching Is it. Is he the only one who's ever broken into the White House? He's okay. ever, the only guy who's ever during breached. The Obama yeah. Um, he had in his car two, two rifles, four handguns, 800 rounds of ammunition, two hatchets, and a machete. And he broke into the White House with a knife on him. And he only got 18 months. That's what's really crazy. They said, well, he had PTSD. Oh, okay. Did he just dro drop cool. out of the roof like, ha! Well, he <laughs> had like a plea deal. Well, he bar barged through the door, and there was a woman security guard, and she couldn't stop him. He was too big, and he ran past her. And he got deep in. He got deep in the White House, like deeper than they had originally admitted. Did he, uh, did he have a map like with X at the he end? He did. That's what, what I was going to say. He had an, a map like White House <laughs> X. This dumb fuck. This guy was completely out of his mind. But the crazy thing is he only got 18 months. Uh-huh. I know a guy who's in jail for 10 years for growing weed. He's in federal penitentiary for 10 years for growing weed. Yeah. And this guy got 18 months for having an arsenal in his car and breaking into the White House with a knife. Idiocracy, man. Maybe. You see that cop in New York just got uh, convicted of uh, manslaughter but didn't get any jail time? Which cop? Which story? Just Just happened the other day. I forget. Do you know what the case was? I think it was at one of those cases where he had the duty, where he was in the like kind of sort of patrolling the stairwells and projects, which sounds horrifying. No jail time for ex NYPD officer after manslaughter conviction reduced to cr criminally negligent homicide. Huh. What is it saying he did, Jamie? Mm, I don't know. It's, yeah. I'm just saying. It's like it seems like every day there's just something that doesn't make any sense. Well, there's definitely a lot of stuff that doesn't make any sense, and also a lot of stuff you have to deal with if you're a fucking cop. I think this is a, a subject that requires balance. I think there's a lot of terrible things that cops have done, and it's obvious. You've seen videos of it. We saw that cop shoot that guy in the back, running away, and then throw the taser on him. We've all seen horrible shit. We've seen it. I think these guys are shell-shocked. I think there's a, a vast majority of the people out there that are operating as police officers that are barely keeping it together. I think it's a hard job, and I think those guys are under stress all the time. 
every day might be the end of their life. Every car they pull over might be someone who shoots them. You walk into places and you're hated instantly. Instantly. Everybody's lying to you. And it should you. be the opposite. Yeah. Everybody's lying to you. And on, on top of that, they've set them up as the, enem- as, as the enemy by making them glorified revenue collectors, pulling people over for having a fucking you know, traffic ticker, you know, your, your, your blinkers not working or your license plates expired, all shit that has nothing to do with crime. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a lot of that going on where they give them quotas on speeding tickets and they, they turn them into the enemy. You're taking money from people. You're stealing from people. They're being used. They're being used. And yeah, and it's not right. Well, I just always hope that with when people talk about stuff like this and uh, all these videos that are getting out and people, the awareness of it, that it'll bounce back the other way. And then people will realize it. And the people will, somehow or another, it'll be a self-correcting thing. You think that's going to happen? I don't know. I don't think so. You don't think it's in time that things are self-correcting? Uh, I think that's... Some famous white person has to die, and then maybe it'll get corrected. Oh, white people, I see. Hmm. Might be. Might be right. Yeah. It seems to be when people take notice. <sighs> I, I saw like... that interview that you did with that ex-Baltimore cop. Yeah, he's coming back in. Boy, that that was like, that should be um, required viewing. Yeah, he's running for um, chief of police of Chicago. He wants to take over Chicago. He thinks he can make some leeway. He's going to yeah. come in and talk about that. That's what an uphill battle that would be. Well, if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be a guy like him, a radical thinker. You know, he's, I don't I, mean fighting the crime. I mean, I mean changing the politics. Yeah. That would be the uphill battle. But both would be a problem. You know, Chicago became a bloodbath after they started arresting key gang members that were in control of uh, drug distribution. So they created a power vacuum. And, you know, much like has happened. So isn't that why they call it Chirac? What's that? Isn't that why they call it Chirac? Is that what they call it? Yeah. Whoa. They call it Shrek. You knew that? Yeah. Jamie's on sure black Twitter a, on, the reg- on a regular basis. Spike Lee movie just came out. He called it that, too. That was in the Spike Lee movie? That's what they call the it. That's what locals call it. I'm so white. Because it's a war zone. <laughs> yeah, it is a war zone. But man. it's essentially, I didn't know that, but it seems like kind of the same thing where you take out people in power and then it's just chaos. Well, we were there um, about a year and a half ago, and there was a guy who uh, I was talking with down there that used to be a cop, and uh, now he was a limo driver. And uh, he was telling me what it was like. And that it's, it's always been a problem, he's like. But then when they decided to go and make some key arrests, they had created a bit of a power vacuum. Mm-hmm. And then it, it all ramped up, where people were trying to... Uh, and then there's also, like, once the violence is ramped up, then people want to respond to that violence, and it ramps it up even more. And mm-hmm. how do you stop that, you know? I mean, but if anybody knows, it's going to be a guy like Michael Wood. It's going to be a guy who was a former cop, who worked in Baltimore, who understands what What does he it's think like. about drugs? Does he think they're going to need to be legalized? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think he's into locking people up for anything that they want to do. Mm-hmm. I think everybody agrees to that. I mean, this there's those... Nonviolent crimes, like to have these prisons filled up with nonviolent crimes, is very bizarre, especially when it's nonviolent. It's, emba- it's embarrassing. It is embarrassing. We should be embarrassed. We should be. We've fucking ruined so many people's lives. Mm hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't look like they're going to do anything about it. People make too much money. People, well, with, people with, you know, political influence. And- well, private prisons. Just, and then when that judge got caught in Pennsylvania for taking young kids and locking them up in jail for money. And that he was getting some sort of a kickback from these detention institutes where they would send young juvenile detention. Man, I just to know that there's people out there that are working in justice that would be willing to take money and sacrifice some young kid's future. Yeah. 
I mean, that's really, really scary that these that's, are the people that we I mean, let justice to. That's heinous. I mean, I, I get so scared uh, thinking about my kids, uh, you know. I mean, every single day you see crazy shit. You yeah. Know, you see some, like, you know, black kid killed by a cop. You know, it's like, Jesus Christ. It's like never ending. It, it does make me kind of want to not leave my house sometimes. It's awful, but it's also awful. Black kids killed by black kids, white kids killed by white kids. I mean, just, just violence in and of itself. It's such a, it, at this point I guess it's in our life. because I'm only ever, I only ever go on Worldstar. <laughs> well, you should get off of Worldstar. <laughs> my favorite video of Worldstar was this week. See the one with the little cub wrestling a dog? No. Holy Jesus Christ. <laughs> I didn't see that. This one. little baby bear fucked this dog up. It was a grown dog, man, and it's a little tiny bear, and it looked like the dog was fucking with the bear, and then the bear was like, bitch, just grabbed it by his head and just ragdolling him. It's on my Instagram. It is crazy. Like, you can't believe how strong this little tiny bear is in comparison to a full-grown dog that's twice his size. He just throws him around like, look at this. Look at this dog is fucking him. He's like, bitch. Yikes. Like he just he's he ragdolls this dog. Watch the dog gets up. Watch his hip toss. Watch this act right here. Boom, Whoa. dude. That's technique. Look how he takes side control. That dog knows what the fuck's going on, or that bear rather. Wait a second. Play that again and yeah. do the commentary. That was cool. I'll show you exactly what's going on here. See the dog's <laughs> fucking. With him. He's like, no, bitch. He got the Muay Thai clinch first of all. He gets the plum around the neck. Ragdolls him to the ground. The dog's trying to reach around behind him. He adjusts. Flips the dog on his back, and then look at that hip toss. The hip toss at the end is huge. He's got the scarf hold. He's <laughs> holding on to the that's neck. That's your thing. It's, it's huge. It's that hip right. toss is huge because that's he established his position. He did, and he keep, but, no he, but he gave it up very quickly. But, well, because he's smart. He knew he was going to get reversed. Well, I, apparently the dog has jujitsu, and he bear wanted to stay standing dog's up. Dog's just big. He's a goon. Bear wanted to keep it up. The dog's a goon. The bear's going to win eventually. It's gonna. He's going to have to cook him. It's going to take some time. <laughs> Trust me, the, I, I got money. Did you out say of bear. the dog is a goon? Yeah, he's a goon. <laughs> a goon. How a, dare you? A goon is when you roll with someone and they're uh, they're not good. They're just strong, and they throw you off of them. You just got to ride the boat. You got to figure out a way to that, ride. Isn't the Isn't that like most people with big muscles though? A lot of people with big muscles. I the mean, it, is, I'm, a, I'm a boxing fan, and like when somebody walks into the ring and they've got a lot of muscles, I pretty much automatically know they're going to lose. I got two words for you, Mike Tyson. That's what you get when you get big muscles and intelligence and a knowledge, a deep knowledge of boxing. Yeah, you totally. You get both things. Yeah. But most of the time you don't. Most yeah. of the time you don't. But when you did, like when Mike Tyson was in his prime, it was so terrifying because there wasn't a guy like that before him. This super fast, ridiculously powerful guy just came in with perfect technique, bobbing and Insane. weaving, throwing bombs at you. Ooh. Yeah, his side to side movement was just so, it was terrifying. Meanwhile, oh my god! That little bear would fuck him up, grab a hold of his dick, throw him to the ground, flip him over on his back. I don't know, man. You seen him with his tigers? <laughs> yeah, he's crazy. Charlie Murphy had one of the funniest stories ever told on this podcast. We told about how he pulled up to Mike Tyson's house with a bunch of his friends, and they were all in limos, and nobody wanted to get out of the car because Mike Tyson was on the front lawn with a fucking lion. <laughs> He's got like a lion and he's he's got a, an actual real lion and nobody wanted to get it out of the cars. Wow. Oh. Or was it a tiger or was it a lion? One of those things. But it's an animated thing. Oh, he's got a tiger there. He had a gang of cats. How rich do you have to get before you start collecting zoo animals? Boy, he was insane wealthy living in Vegas. I mean, at the but time. That seems to be the thing. Like you get yeah. a monkey, you get a Well, a tiger. lot of fighters wind up getting very dangerous animals. That was a that was a big thing with 
a lot of fighters. I always wondered what did he do with these things once he couldn't handle like anymore. Like what fighter? Like who? who what kind of animals? A lot of boxers get uh, pit bulls. That's real common. A lot of uh, kickboxers and MMA fighters get pit bulls. Yeah. Real common. They just want to be around something that's as badass as them. Sure. You know, or it get, makes them feel and badass. Ins- and insist they're safe. Yeah. Well, you'll be safe. It's other people that you got to worry about. If you have a pit bull, most of the time you're safe. If it's your dog, it's very rare that a pit bull attacks its owner. Very rare. Yeah. They're, they please, they want to please people. And it's not even normal for them to go after people. Usually the only times that those dogs go after people is when they're abused or I trained total, I totally believe you, but I wouldn't let my kids around one. No, that's, the children is different because children are small. And they think well, children, children are, are like part animals. of my life, so I can't no, have no, them no. around. I, I, I totally understand. I totally understand. But, but children saying, are part of everybody's life. So mm-hmm. it's like when you get a pit bull, you're basically saying I'm, you know, you, you, half the population can't be around me. You could say that, but... There are some, you know, the problem is it's not worth the risk to make the exception, but there are some people's dogs that are amazing. Like I, I used to have this pit bull named Lucy. She was the sweetest dog ever to everybody. Yeah. She's, she's kids, no, I have a anybody, with a really babies. Sweet pit bull. It didn't matter. She loved everybody. But, you know, when people would see her, they'd be like, is that a pit bull? And mm-hmm. they'd freak out. But she was the nicest dog ever. Yeah. But then you'll have other dogs that are just not like that at all. You know, they're dangerous. They're, they're tricky. And you never know because they all look the same. Like you'd have to get to know the dog. And you have to know the history of the dog and the dog's parents' history. And, you know, I have this dog that's a Mastiff, and he's a smaller Mastiff. It's called a Regency Mastiff. Mm -hmm. He is the sweetest dog I have ever had in my life. And the reason why is because the guy who raised him, like, he, when he described it to me, he's like, it's all about the parents. And it's all about not letting parents that exhibit any weird behavior breed. He's like, if you're going to breed like a, a really nice dog, you just make sure that the dogs are always friendly and only friendly dogs breed. And if they're not friendly, don't allow them to breed. I was like, that is crazy. So you, he's got it completely organized that way, like genetically. You know, he makes sure that these dogs are never, any dog that growls at somebody, any dog that barks for no reason, they don't breed. Those are the ones they put in the other barn where they secretly breed them for Well, fighters. they just fix them. He just fix, no, they're, they're different dogs. They're, they're, it's a large dog. You know, I just, my, one of my friends, uh, his mom bred uh, bull mastiffs. Oh, yeah? So I was always freaked out every time I went over. They would like be in the yard playing with bowling balls, <laughs> you know? And I'd be like, I'm not getting out of the car. Yeah, they, there are some enormous dogs. They, they were originally made, like, they'd make them, I think, for some sort of guard dog, right? That was the idea behind them, to make them as big as possible. Uh-huh. Like those English mastiffs, they're like 200-pound right. dogs. They're enormous. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I like, get those. I like labs. I think labs are my favorite. They're like the most predictable, you know. They're hey, predictable. Well, I, like, I, just like a, I just like a good mutt. Yeah, you know, good, like good a good friendly good. mutt. Good mutts are good, man. Um, is there any downside to living in Nashville? Like, what is it? Is it all good living down there, or is it? You know, there's there's been such an influx of people that it's a it's a bit congested now. It's it's sort of like Austin in that regard, right? Where it's, I guess so. It's I've the heard hot that. spot. I've heard that. If you're young and you have aspirations and you want to live in a cool place. It seems to take longer and longer each year to get across town. Yeah. You know? So you guys keep talking about it, telling people how awesome it is. You, you hear me talk about it? Me. I just did. Uh-huh. I work there all the time. I'm, I, do, I used to do uh, Zany's. <coughs> you know where that comedy club is down yeah, there? Yeah, sure. I've been there. I love, I'm there next month. I'm doing the Ryman. I yeah. Love, I love just, Nashville. The Arcs just played the Ryman. Oh, yeah? Awesome. We had John Prine come out and sing with us. Yeah. Now, are you doing the arcs in conjunction with the Black Keys? Like, how do you? No, just sort of. We, you know, Pat and I sort of just finished a like um, the Turn Blue tour, 
and which ended like four years straight of touring. Oh. So we're just kind of taking a little break, and I'm doing this arc, the arcs thing now. And when you guys do things like this, do you do things legally, or do you just shake hands and say, we're in a band? I do things legally. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I do with these guys. I love them. They're my friends, but they're, you know, they're pros. Yeah, you kind of have to, huh? They all have their own lawyers, you know. That's kind of be, so You know, weird. because they, they have been ripped off, you know, they've been ripped right. off in the past. That happens to really good musicians. What often. an amazing relationship you could have, though, if you had a bunch of heavy-duty musicians that went in on a handshake Well, I mean, we, we don't talk about uh, money really ahead of time. You know, uh, they'll buy plane tickets and fly into Nashville and spend a week recording. We'll never once talk about contracts or anything like that. So it's all done in advance. It's done afterwards. It's, you know, hey, we finished a record. Let's, we'll work it out now. Right. Well, that's how it should be done, right? Until you get screwed. And then you're like, shit, I should have done this ahead of time. I don't know. Well, I think that's how it should be done. But at least there's a level of trust that you guys do the recording in advance. I mean, that's a, that's a high level of trust and then figure yeah. it out afterwards. Absolutely. That's, that's a very high level of trust. Because what if you guys catch lightning in a bottle? One of you bitches gets greedy. Yeah. Someone gets those Scrooge McDuck, ching, ching, those dollar bills sure. in his eyes. And next thing you know, have you guys ever had your songs ripped off before? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. What does that feel like? Um, strange. You know, I mean, for for Pat and I, it was like we spent so many years just trying to get noticed to like have people copying us. It was just so bizarre. We yeah. had this we had this one case where um, I mean, it's happened multiple times to us, but we had this one case where uh, some casino did an advertisement and the owner of the casino posted something on fi- on like Twitter or something like, hey, check it out. We just we just ripped off this Black Keys song for our new ad. You guys like it? <laughs> and we just used that in the case and won. <laughs> it was insane. <laughs> Did they just not know? I don't think he knew how the internet worked. I don't know. I thought maybe he was, he, maybe he just thought he was <clears throat> posting to his buddies. That's hilarious. Was it like a Native American casino where they thought they had different laws? <laughs> I don't know. I they, don't know, man. Do they have different laws when it comes to that kind of stuff? Uh, I don't know. I don't either. I mean, that was like the whole thing. It was like that Native American casinos, they were allowed to have casinos in places that you could never have casinos. Right. Because they had their own rules. Mm-hmm. That's where a lot of uh, the early MMA fights were done because it was illegal. The, it was illegal to have MMA competitions. So it was illegal to have MMA competitions, but it was legal to have them at the Native American places. So they must have different laws. Yeah. In some ways, yeah. Yeah. That's how they have casinos. Yeah. So what are you guys doing now? You're just touring across the country with this new music? Yeah, yeah, we're just on tour, playing some shows. And you're here for Coachella? Yeah. What is that experience like? You know, it's it's like most kind of festivals. It's it <laughs> It can be fun if you're if you're into that type of thing, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it seems like it's got to be good for like the young up and coming guys and gals to be included in these lineups and people mm-hmm. to be able to experience maybe some bands. I know for Honey Honey it was a big deal. You know, to be able mm-hmm. to experience some bands that maybe you weren't aware of before and say, oh, let me, let me yeah. follow I, them see, now. For me, I th- it's kind of weird, like, watching music in the sun. It just feels weird oh, okay. to me. And then, yeah. and you don't, you don't get sound check, you know, so you, so you kind of go up there blind. Oh, okay. And then, all, you know, and then you have a sh- very short set. Normally, most bands play, you know, a band that's playing, like, the Moore Theater or something is playing, like, an hour and a half at least. When you play at a festival, you have 45 minutes, that's it, you know, mm. so it's like... You know, it's a very, it's a lot of effort 
to not be at your best. You know what mm. I mean? Yeah. It's sort of, um, that, that can be a little difficult. But when you play a great festival and you get a great crowd, it, it can change your, your mind, I guess. We just played uh, last week and it was awesome. We, we had a really nice crowd. It was great. What is it like being there? I mean, how many people go to that goddamn thing? It's got to be enormous now. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. I mean, yeah. I'm. It, it's become this whole big thing out there, too. They do two weekends now. Yeah. Not one. And then the weekend after that, they do a, a, essentially the same thing, but with country music. What's it called? Stagecoach Festival. Jeez. So it's like three weeks. The whole town like is is... For three weeks, uh, at least, is just completely inundated with people. How strange. And how do they choose that spot? Uh, I don't know. They do it on the polo grounds there. Do they use those polo grounds uh, when it's not in season? I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't even know. I don't know. They just decided to put it on down there. But it's become this gigantic thing that everybody has to go A to. A lot of guys who, who do those festivals will be the same ones who do festivals all over the place. You know, they'll, they'll you know, like those Lollapalooza guys do different festivals they've started different ones and the benefit of doing those things is really essentially just for expo- exposure right i mean there's money in it but it's not like you no, guys do uh, it on your own it's good it's good money it is good money it's better money than than playing shows you get more money really yeah yeah, yeah. wow it's good money so it's nice to route uh, a tour around festivals no shit yeah absolutely. wow that's interesting huh because uh, comedians always think of it as like south by southwest because when you think about festivals... That's not a festival. What is that? That's uh, more an industry thing. And it's it's everybody's kind of playing for free. Yeah. What at, the fuck is bars. that? That seems that's really, really weird. When you're starting, that, you know, it's a place to be seen. Yeah. It's more for up-and-comers, I think. Or when you have a brand new record coming out, you can go down there and you know that all the media is going to be there. Is Coachella the big festival? I think so. Yeah. Coachella is one of the biggest. Lollapalooza is the other. Yeah, there, there, there are a few that are, are mainstays now. Coachella is definitely one of them. Do you find that in the age of the internet that you are getting better crowds in different places, that you're getting people that understand what you're doing and, and are big fans, and they're, they're all over the place now instead of like in, in urban pockets? I don't know. We, we don't go outside of urban pockets, really, to be honest. Really? I mean, we stay in major cities. We don't, we don't often hit. The small towns. No. Because we can hit major markets in Australia, Western Europe, North America. We can do it in South America. And then, like, by the time we finish that, you can kind of do those again. <laughs> you right, know what I mean? Right, right, It's like uh, you really have to want to go there and make a lot less money. You right. know what I mean? I get it. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, I would just think that maybe that would, especially for fucking around and creating new stuff, sometimes getting a new look, you know, and being in a new place and performing for a new kind of, it gives you a new feel for what mm-hmm. you're doing. Yeah. I mean, I think if, if you're, if you're that kind of band that does a lot of improvising and, you know, fly by the seat of your pants. But for me, I'd rather be creating in the studio. Do you enjoy travel? Do you enjoy like international gigs? Uh, less and less. Yeah, less and less. The more the more uh, productive I am at home, the less I want to leave. You know, and I love being around my kids. It's it's, it's been a lot of fun. So it, it's definitely become less and less a thing I want to do. 
I got to tell you, dude, your your dedication and the way you describe wanting to do music, it's very infectious. <laughs> I love hearing shit like this because it really does make me want to go do something, you know? And I, I think that that effect is one of the reasons why people really enjoy conversations with people like you. Because when we're I've reminded... Never really done, I've never done this. Really? I've never really done an interview like this. No shit? Never. It's so comfortable, though. How are you so comfortable? I don't know. I guess I just, you're just comfortable. I feel comfortable around you, Jeff. <laughs> well, I feel thanks, safe. Man. You're definitely safe. I feel like you're going to keep me safe. If, I'm 100% uh, safe. If my stalker with the map comes through, barges through that door. Everything's fine. You're going to be fine. <laughs> but it's, it's like when a person hears someone like you that is just in love with what they do and produces amazing stuff and just has a passion about it. It makes you, it, there's like a bubbly thing, it like starts boiling inside you. You want to, mm. you want to get going. You want to get moving, man. That is the fuel of inspiration. That's so important for people. I mean, I think for all of us, um, I think everybody who was into certain artists growing up knows that music, in a, especially, I think, is probably one of the most inspirational things as far as like the way it hits you, the way emotionally, the way it hits you, like as far as art forms, you can listen to a three-minute song and it can hit you in a way that three minutes in a movie has no hope of. Like, yeah. in, like from start to go, the three first minutes of a movie never hit you like some songs do. They just tell a story in this intense, moving way with music and sound and, and the, the soul behind the way a person sings the words. And that... To hear, like, from a guy like you that that process is so intoxicating and that you love it so much and that you still, after all these years, do it and love it and can't wait to get back in there and you want to yeah. be productive and that you work all the time and that you work at it and you don't even consider it. That's, like, that's what everybody wants to hear, man. Because that when you hear a guy like you talk about that, I guarantee you this, this podcast will be heard by over a million people. And out of those million people, thousands of them are going to start new projects and get inspired to do things just by hearing you do this. You think They're so? Gonna, Fuck yeah, man. They're going to want some of that, man. <clears throat> so people, they, what, they hear that and they go, that sounds like bliss. That sounds like <laughs> career bliss. Someone who loves what they do and well, pertuses. Uh, yeah, the business side is, is hard. There's a lot of bullshit. You know what I mean? And most people don't make it. You know, we started over 10 years ago and we used to tour with a bunch of bands that just don't even exist anymore. You yeah. know what I mean? We've, we know that we're lucky, you know what I mean? But at the same time, I've always felt something more from music. You know, it's always meant more to me than it did to all my friends just because I don't know why, you know, it's like part of my family, but even still, you know, my dad had a great record collection, but I am pretty quickly like surpassed his knowledge and just delved deeper. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I always felt really in tune with music. Like I, I can remember being like 14 and hearing Sam Cooke and the Soulsters and like it making me cry. You know what I mean? It was able to reach someplace inside me that, that nothing else ever was able to, you know? I don't know that everybody gets that thing. Right. But I definitely have that and it's like, it's really controlled the way that I've made all the decisions in my life. Well, I've got to think as a young man in such a music-rich environment that you describe your, your childhood growing up like that, I mean, that had to have sparked and fueled some, some areas of your creativity that just led you to embrace it the way you have. I mean, it's, I mean it seems like a really fortunate situation that you grew up in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that yeah. story of you guys around your grandmother's grave singing that song, that's, that's an amazing story, man. 
Yeah. I kind of wish I had that in my family, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I, and I know it. I know it, you know? And not only were my uncles uh, great musicians, but they had great taste. Like, my Uncle Jim taught me how to sing. He's still got one of the best voices I've ever heard in my life. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I was, a, I was into blues music, but I was a real snob about it. I liked certain things, and I really didn't like other things. You know what I mean? And I had my Uncle Tim. He just had amazing uh, blues albums. And he hit me to the cool shit. You know what I mean? Early on. And I knew the difference between, like, that kind of corny bar blues shit and, like, the deep stuff, you know? And so I really had a head start. I can't, I can't say that it was just all like, I just got it. You know, I like, I had great teachers and I was around some, some cool stuff growing up. Yeah. That's what it seems like, you know? And I think that have it being around a bunch of people that are not, are just, not just have great taste, but also express themselves like freely and openly like that. They can sing at a, at a funeral, mm-hmm. you know, that's not a lot of families where they're so musical that they'll, they'll sit around and sing your grandmother's favorite song when she died. Well, yeah, I mean, it it became, it, it it ceased to be music for me. It was just who I was. It was it was my life as a human is music. It's, a, it's just, it's like eating, music, showering. I mean, it's like a part of the thing I do. You know what I mean? And without thinking about it. And no matter what you did, even if you didn't pursue it as a career, you would still be involved I mean, in music. But you can't even I think, think about so. that, yeah. can you? Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know, man. <laughs> I mean, really, I knew that I felt totally out of place, like working in a kitchen and like working anywhere else. Is that a boxing glove around your neck? Yeah. What's that from? That's, you know, they used to give these out to Golden Glove winners, local, regional Golden Glove winners. Did you win a Golden Gloves? No, no, no. I I found it in a junk shop. I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) It does look cool. I I like how you're rocking it underneath the collar, old school style, Catholic school. Like an Italian horn? That's how they would wear it. <laughs> like do, you remember, do you remember hood. Italian horns? No. People used to wear those stupid little gold horns, like a horn, like a like a bull's horn that was like hanging. Do you you know what I'm talking about? Not at all. Is this thing they would call them Italian horns? They were a big East Coast Guido thing. Where'd you grow up? That's what they look like. Uh, I was born in New Jersey and I grew up in Boston. That oh, kind of looks like sperm. Stupid charm. It does look like sperm. That's probably what it really is. Gold sperm. Hey, you fuck with the bull, you get the horns. I don't. I don't know why it was a horn. I have no idea what it meant. But when it I was looks a kid, like you have sperm in your chest, like a it's golden really... sperm, like Liberace <laughs> came in your chest. <laughs> I don't know why I brought that up. I don't even know where they came from. I was just curious about. I just wanted to know if you boxed. Yeah. Yeah, I box. Do you? Mm-hmm. What do you do? Do you do it for like? Just for fun. For fun? For for working out, yeah. Do you spar? Do you hit pads? A little pads? bit, yeah. Really? When my cousin's in town, he taught me how to box. He, he's been boxing since he was like 14. He got me into it three or four years ago. I have some friends that still spar, and I'm like, dude, be careful. Yeah, yeah. Even though you have those things, the big helmets on it, shit hurts. Those helmets don't really help you. No. The, hel- the, the problem is the brain smushing around inside the head and those yeah, helmets. But, uh, nobody's hitting me like that. No. Inspiring, man. No. But just a little jolt. Even jolts like that, real bad for the brain swashing yeah. around inside the head. Uh-huh. Yeah. Absolutely. I was talking to a doctor. He said that jet skiing can give you brain damage. Jet skiing? Jet skiing. Just <laughs> being on a jet ski. He said the bounce of a jet ski, no bullshit, gives people concussions. 
Wow. Yeah, because you don't know what a concussion is. Is you're concussed, like the impact it doesn't have to hit you in the head. Like yeah. you get, a lot of concussions happen when people get a hit in the chest, and then all of a sudden they'll be depressed and their mood swings be their cortisol levels are all fucked up, wow. and they'll find out that they're from concussed the, from the sort of like whiplash from the mm-hmm. movement of the from brain. The impact, yeah. I always heard that. Yeah. That's what I. I mean, I know it's true in boxing with, mm-hmm. the, with the big gloves. I know they cause more brain damage than the small gloves. I know MMA is technically safer than boxing is in the long term. Yeah, believe it or not, it'd actually be safer if they wore no gloves. Yeah, absolutely. No gloves, no wrist tape. You, your, your wrist would bend easier. It would be harder to hit people hard. You know, also, your hands would break, so you'd have to pick your shots better. Absolutely. Safety. Safety first. Safety first, <laughs> even in extreme sports. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing, right? Like, how safe can you make it while still have it be so exciting? I don't know. Right. Do you watch boxing now, though? You follow oh, it? Oh, yeah. You a big boxing fan? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you... Chocolatito's in the, uh, Santa Monica right now training. Oh, have you watched him? Uh, I mean, I'm a big fan of his. I've never seen him live, but I want to go there and, and watch, watch him, him train. train. Yeah, man. I watched Manny Pacquiao train once. It was a, a real pleasure. It was. Um... I went and trained it at Wild Card, and they let me go down and train in the room, the Manny room. Oh, yeah? And, you know, the double-end bag was, like, so fucking tight. Yeah. I could barely hit the thing. <laughs> I felt so stupid because I was like, all right, I'm at a place where I feel comfortable. I can go to wild card and maybe work out and not feel like a total shithead. And I, I was like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> I was like, uh, give me a couple wild card t-shirts. And then you'll never see me again. Watching Manny hit the pads. Um, Manny was hitting the pads. It wasn't with, um, and was it with Freddie Roach? It might have been with Freddie. Yeah, it was with Freddie. It was with Freddie and another guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes through all this warm-up routines and goes through all this stuff and then he starts hitting the pads kind of slow and loosens up and then eventually he starts firing off these combinations like and he's just firing off these ungodly quick combinations you just realize like yeah there's a difference there's a difference in certain people <laughs> yeah there's a big difference yeah, you see big his calves difference. too yeah yeah, yeah what the hell yeah what's going on over there well that's where his power comes from his power is all from his legs the pushing off of the legs and delivering these lightning fast combinations yeah did you see his last fight was an absolute bust they lost money yeah nobody wants to see him fight if it's not floyd mayweather and people are really disappointed too well that, that's not totally true i mean he, he just fought tim bradley we've this was like third fight yeah i don't think anybody really cared Tim Bradley's a fun guy. Tim Bradley's awesome. But yeah, it's his third fight. Let's let's. But it was there are interesting. A bunch of great welterweights out there. I agree. Terence Crawford, the best. Yeah, he's awesome. I want yeah. I want to see that fight. He just he's he's just uh, inked a deal with uh, to fight Victor Postal. Oh really? That's going to be a great. Oh, that's fight. a great fight too. I yeah. think uh, Terence is going to win it, but that's a that's a really good fight, and I'd love to see that Terence Crawford isn't scared to to fight anybody, the right. be- even the best. Terrence is something special, and also that he he fights from the orthodox stance, but just as good, if not better, from the southpaw, and he'll switch up on guys. Like he'll, I know. He'll be Usually outboxing I hate you. when I see guys do that. I'm like, oh, this fucking guy. But he's awesome. It's almost like he's feeling you out as an orthodox, and then when he knows he could fuck you up, he switches over and starts lighting you up. Mm-hmm. He's something special. He's awesome, and I love to watch his his brain work, too, because he, 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 he won't just go out for the knockout or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's, he plays with... He plays with you for a few rounds. Well, he's smart Consistently. About it. Yes. He always plays with the person for a few rounds and then starts 
destroying them? Well, I think he values and appreciates the skill and art of boxing, the actual art of it. I mean, there's no way he could be as good as he is. If you get to that level, you have to. Yeah. You have to, like, reach that point where you understand that it's there's a total art to it. Yeah. So what he's doing is, like, he's setting traps and slowly dragging guys into his game and then fucking mm-hmm. them up. Yeah. And for a guy who really appreciates that, the skill and the subtleties of, of what he's doing, it's amazing. Absolutely. I love watching that guy set traps. Chocolatito's awesome, too, because he's just, like, watching his his side-to-side movement. Watching, oh, yeah. Watching. It's just, like, second nature for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More, more so than anybody. Mm-hmm. He's just a boxer. Yeah. You know? The fluidity of those combinations where you step off to the left and crank off these it punches. It reminds me and step of Finito Lopez right. in mm-hmm. that way, where it's just, like, perfect form and... The movement is insane. This is a good time for boxing right now. Gennady Golovkin, another one. I want to see what happens with Canelo Alvarez and um, Khan. Khan, Amir Khan, which mm-hmm. is uh, coming up. That's I worry about fight. Khan. You know, we're talking about muscles, and Khan keeps saying, I feel stronger, and he looks huge. He looks ripped. Mm-hmm. I worry that he just will have no stamina in the fight. Yeah, I wonder. Um, is this the first time? that? What are they fighting at, 160? Or is it 154? I don't remember. So when Mayweather and him fought, they fought at 150. Was it a catchweight fight? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. He want, Mayweather wanted him a little small, right? Mayweather gets shrink whatever him, he wants. Shrink him down a little bit. <laughs> Get that big bruiser down. But uh, Gennady Golovkin, is, uh, he's an interesting guy because a lot of people don't want to, like, his pay-per-view got like 150,000 buys, which is a huge bust. It's a disaster for them. Mm-hmm. But for boxing fans like you or me, or like, the best. he's the it's guy awesome. to watch. I can't wait yeah. to watch. I, we still haven't seen him uh, tested, though, I don't think. You I know, don't think I, so either. But no. he, he's going to fight. I, you know, Everybody wants to see him fight um, Wade. I mean... Um, Canelo, for sure. Well, but Canelo. he's fighting... Who is he? he is, uh, yeah, it's Wade. Wade is the guy's name. The uh, mandatory challenge. Oh, no, he's fighting has. Wade right now, but uh, yeah. Andre Ward. Oh. Every, well, Andre Ward's going to go up and fight Kovalev, though. <clears throat> you know that? Yeah. Andre I Ward's now that. fighting 75. He had his first light heavyweight fight at 75. Yeah. Looked great. And now he's going to fight Kovalev. Kovalev's a beast. Oh, he's another terrifying guy. Yeah. This is a great time for Although boxing. Although Bernard Hopkins, uh, you know, as old as he is and kind of as slow as he is with respect, he popped uh, Kovalev a few times. He did. I mean, if it was the Bernard Hopkins of 10 years ago, it could have been a completely different fight. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I think if, uh, again, it's all, it's, that's the other thing about boxing is that, like, with the thing that's so great about MMA is they pit the best against the best. And in boxing, there's so much bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to see these dumb fucking fights with guys fighting people that you know they can just beat well, so easily. Definitely too many different world titles. Like you have three different guys that call themselves the world champion and they're in the same weight class. That's crazy. You know, there's a, a lot of that that doesn't make any sense. Like yeah. deciding what a world champion is and who owns the right to say world champion that their guy is or this guy is and not have them fight against each other. Rival promotions, they don't want to get together and ink deals, they don't want to lose well, their superstar. But what if, you know, what if UFC had a, a company that was just as big as UFC? Because that's kind of essentially what happens in boxing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You don't, yeah. you don't talk about it in UFC because there's no one else who really can compete. You know, if you want to do MMA, you do M- UFC, right? You know, Bellator is just not quite as big. But, like, with boxing, there are just all these promoters, mm-hmm. Top Rank and, and Aram, and that they never cross-promote you know what i mean right it it really does a disservice to the sport i think well it certainly can because they know that they they have a guy who can make a lot of money and if that guy loses to somebody then they're fucked and they lose their big guy and that's the other thing i kind of hate about boxing is that if you lose one fight somehow you're tainted beyond belief 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't quite understand that. Yeah. Well, it's an old school way of thinking because they used to build a fighter up and get them 49 and 0, and then they would fight, you know? Right. And it would be a big thing. He's undefeated. He's going for the title. You know, if a guy had 10 losses and he was going for the title, everybody would be like, why am I even watching this? That's why it's so cool to see Khan fight Canelo mm-hmm. and to see, uh, you know, to see, um, who did we just say? Miguel uh, Cotto. He's another no, one. Fighting Postal. Yeah, fighting Postal. Oh, Gennady Golovkin. No, Postal. Um, uh, Terrence Crawford. Terrence Crawford. You know what I mean? It's so yeah. great when you actually see a real fight. It's like, yeah. oh, shit, this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's just too much talent right now in a, a few divisions. Like, it's there's some unavoidable, like, chaotic matchups. And I think Canelo and Amir Khan, for as long as it lasts, should be very interesting. Canelo's just such a bruiser, man. He's a scary puncher, you know? But he's slow. He's a little slow. And Amir, of, I mean, Amir's when pretty you, fast. When, he, <clears throat> when you see him against uh, I mean, Mayweather. When he fought Mayweather, he couldn't, I mean, right, but he, he did couldn't to even catch him. Yeah, that's true. But Mayweather's a motherfucker. He's such a good boxer. But Khan is, is, you could argue, is as fast. Maybe. Well, he won't be losing as much weight, so maybe he'll be better. And maybe he'll be better because he fought that fight. You know, I mean, a fighter doesn't stay at the same level of skill year after year. Ideally, if they keep training and keep learning, and he's completely dedicated, he's going to be getting better and better all the time. Confident as a champion. I mean, that one loss to Mayweather, I think he probably learned more about what can happen to him in a fight than uh, all those fights where he beat guys down. Yeah, I don't. I, I can't imagine the pressure, pressure that uh, Canelo's under. I want to see mean, Canelo and Gennady Golovkin. That's the fight that I want to see. Yeah. I want to see what happens. That's this two guys that don't like to take backward steps and both have ruthless power and great chins. Yeah, I think Gennady's a better boxer. He's so technical. He's so technical. Yeah. I love watching him train, too, video him training, just like... Just working the head movement in the clinch for like an hour. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Just like, and then he's like teaching some kid. Mm-hmm. Also, stop to teach somebody. It's like, he loves the sport. You can tell. Yeah, he certainly does. But I think Canelo do- does too. I think Canelo is, like you said, he's a little slower and he's just such a bruiser that he's got that sort of style to him that he just loads up and, and bangs at guys. But I think he's getting better too. I think he's slicker now than he's ever been before. I think also a fight like Mayweather is just such a wake up call. You could fight a guy like Mayweather or hate him. He's arguably one of the greatest boxers ever. The guy retires. I don't think not he actually argument. retired. I don't know. There's, yeah. It's not an argument. It's no yeah. argument. Yeah, he's one of the greatest, if not the greatest. I mean, he, he has this uncanny ability. Hurt. He has the uncanny ability to make every fight he fights the most boring fight yeah. you've ever seen in your life. Incredible. And <laughs> it, you know, it kind of sucks. Because it's hard to get your friends into boxing when yes. it's like, check it out. This is supposed to be the best fight of this millennium. Yeah. Pacquiao versus Mayweather. And it's, everybody's like, what the fuck? Can we watch something else? You know? Well, he just fights so safe and so smart. And he's better. He's better at fighting that style than you are of dealing with that style. And so yeah. when guys fight him, they just can't get to him. And they fall into this sort of defensive shell like eight or nine rounds in where they he ends just, up making you look foolish. Yeah. And you start with swinging wildly and it's like you play right into his trap. Yeah. It's almost, it almost sucks that I want to know who he's going to fight next. Do you think he's going to fight again? Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 Don't think it, at one point in time, you don't the think guy's he's going to retire. Maybe I, I haven't heard any real rumbling. So have you, he just started flamboyantly saying he was retiring too much for me to believe it's a real retirement. Mm. It just feels like more of his promotion. You know what I mean? And he, it's not like he's stopped training. He hasn't? I don't think so. No. No? He's in the gym still. 
Well, you're probably right then. Maybe he was waiting for the Manny Pacquiao fight, like maybe for waiting to see if it generated a lot of income and if Manny was back and people loved him. Because you kind of kind of give Manny a chance to rebound, like after the Juan Manuel Marquez fight, we got knocked out. He had to give him a chance to take some time off, fight against Chris Algieri, look good, and then you can market <laughs> the fight. Yeah. I, I don't know. That, that was just such a bust for me. That fight, it was just so, so goddamn boring. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, I was such a Manny Pacquiao fan and to see him, to see him, um, come up with nothing and then have it, have the shoulder thing afterwards, after the fact, God, it sucked. Well, the word was before the fight that his shoulder was fucked up. Yeah. People had heard about that. It was Mm -hmm. bookies were talking about it. So some people didn't know that his shoulder was fucked up. Yeah. They should have, they should have postponed the fight. Yeah, but the problem didn't is... They, didn't they, like, some association sue him or something like that? Well, I mean, he threw punches with it. I mean, there was a class action lawsuit. So the, the question is, was was it the injury bad enough he where he had to step back? Before, I don't know what he did. He asked for he, a shot. Cortisone of, shot? Before the fight. And they said no? Yeah. Oh. Hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Should have just done it. Can't ask shit like that. Just do it. <laughs> Get a bunch of your buddies to do it. I mean, I just love Manny Pacquiao. He's like mini Elvis flying around his own jumbo jet with like a jumbo jet full of his entourage. Yeah, he's got a he's got a whole a whole giant posse, and none of them like gay people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was such all a that bummer. Shit was weird. Yeah, but that's all that religious stuff, though, man. It's just heavy Catholic. Yeah, but uh, Catholic or not, you hate to see somebody who's so fucking blessed uh, uh, tear people down. And over nothing. I mean, I, I'd never pay for a Manny Pacquiao fight again. Because of that? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. Fuck that. Wow. That's interesting. 100%. When you get to that level and you have that much money, you should know fucking better. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's disgusting what he said. And then he said it twice. Yeah, we tried to justify it with the Bible and God's <laughs> word. Well, I mean, he probably didn't know the reaction that he was going to get, you know? I bet in his culture... He said gays are less than dogs, less than animals. Was that the exact word? Yeah. Um, I think he might have been misquoted. I think I think Bring he tried up. to explain what he said based on what it says in the Bible that... Oh, after the fact. Yeah, I don't remember, but yeah, whatever it was, it was not good. I don't know, man. I just... I don't... It's just he's too rich and too too blessed to be bringing people down persecuting people down that's just no good that took cost him a lot of fucking money man he lost his nike sponsorship because no, of that. he'll never get my 99.95 that's for sure yeah um you're not the only one i'm sure nah, it is a bummer I don't, I don't know that that many boxing fans actually care you don't think so i don't know there's got to be some boxing fans like you that are boxing fans but aren't apes maybe for sure can't yeah. be all those people watching or yeah no i mean my friends my friend bought the bought the last fight and i, I kind of gave him a little shit and he, just because of the gay stuff yeah i was like no. how could you do that you know it's gonna be a shitty fight anyway it's like why would you <laughs> well the poor guy he's all ate up with jesus yeah yeah i just i don't know i don't know i'm not that familiar with his culture and exactly how but i know for a fact a lot of catholics yeah. You know, the Philippines is just overwhelmed with Christianity and Catholicism. Mm-hmm. So he probably thought he was actually trying to save people in some strange way, you know, in his brainwashed mind. Yeah. I wonder how much of the negative feedback actually gets to him, though, you know? None. You don't think so? No. 
You don't think that's what I'm saying. Does? He's like mini Elvis. He doesn't hear anything. He's got like his shades on. Fifty people on his own jumbo jet. <laughs> Who who's going to tell him that he's an asshole? I wonder how long Nobody. that money can last if he keeps rolling in so the Philippines. Deep. Yeah. Well, honestly, he probably saves money with his own check because then he'd have to buy fifty plane tickets. So maybe right. Maybe it's like cost effective for him to have his own jet. That's an interesting way to look at. But it. he's so beloved in his country, they probably just give him a jet. You know, he's a hell of a represent pool player. The country. That guy's a hell of a pool player. Is he? Yeah. And he's a lefty too. Yeah, he plays really good. He plays like at a professional level. Does he? Yeah. Well, the Philippines are—it's a giant place for pool. Uh, the GIs brought it over there in the fifties, and uh, some of the best pool players in the world come out of the Philippines. Wow. Matter of fact, the consensus greatest player of all time, Efren Reyes, came out of the Philippines. Oh, a wow. magician. Yeah. Yeah, they have some of the best players, and really interesting to watch them because they play like they're playing a musical instrument, like a very gentle game for them. It's very different. Huh. It's not like stiff or hard. It's a very gentle, flowing. flowing. Yeah, their stroke. They have a very particular type of stroke that other players worldwide have emulated the Filipino style of, of playing really? pool. Wow, interesting. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. What What other countries are like embracing like American rock and blues music and doing a good job with it today? I mean, UK has always been a huge supporter. France, Australia. They've always, you know, Australia, I mean, shit, they live and live and die for rock and roll. Do they get good artists that are coming out of there today? Like, do you, what do you, where do you see? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Australia, there's, there's great, great music coming out of there. I mean, have you, do you ever listen to Tame Impala? No. They're from, uh, they're from Australia. How do, how do you spell it? T-A-M-E uh, and then Impala. Tame Impala. Okay. Yeah. They make really cool records. They're pretty famous now. I, I, I would say they, they might even be a, like a festival headliner at this point. Really? Yeah, they're a big band, and uh, and they're from Australia, and there's a whole scene there kind of around that. In the absence of radio, like, what is the traditional method that bands get noticed now? Like, is it just hustling and touring and I don't word even know. gets spread? I don't know. I, I, I have no idea. You just do your shit? I have no fucking idea. I just had an 85-year-old gospel singer from Mississippi in my studio last week, and that's all I was thinking about. You know what I mean? It's like, wow. I have no idea what, what goes on in the music business. I really don't. What was the gospel singer's name? His name is Leo Bud Welch. Wow. Oh, yeah. So cool. What did you have him do? Play music, man. Well, what, like, what? We did a record with him. I had some of my friends in, and we, uh, we just sort of like would let him start a song and try to, try to you know, get in where we fit in. Wow. Yeah, and we did a whole record in three days with him. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just like. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, he he's incredible. Great, he like plays guitar and sings, and and he's very frail and kind of hunched over, but he keeps perfect time. Like we could record him by himself, and then you could just watch him on a like with the BPM, and he'll just right on it, man. It's wild. A lifetime of doing it, you know. Mm-hmm. There's something about old gospel and old blues there's like a, there's, a, there's a sound to like a lot of the old south that uh there's this uh, inescapable soulful sound you know there's some there's some old blues like to this day like some john lee hooker like boom 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 mm-hmm. like you you listen to it like wow like this is just such a special kind of sound and it's instantaneous and you don't have to know anything about it to love it yeah which is so cool 
and it took the world by storm. I mean, John Lee Hooker was really influential in Africa. Like his records really? went over there, and people like Ali Farkatura, he was like one of the greatest African guitar players, heard his records and like inspired him. You know, I mean, yeah, it's just that there's something about it that's like some of those guys. It's just undeniably awesome, and you don't really know how to describe it. And there's like the ingredients are so minimal. Yeah, everybody else had a guitar. Why didn't they make it sound like that too? You know what I mean? Well, it cool. seems like there was a bunch of different things going on. It was the the audience that had been exposed to a lot of other great music and they appreciated it. There was like the experience of the people that were performing it, the life experience that they had behind the words. They had lived like sorrowful times and expressed it legitimately and and and, and, and truly in the, in the music. Right, but it was also just where they're from, who they yeah, so it's who they are. It's not even like that their maybe their lives were so bad it's just like again it's like it's just such, such a part of who they were they they would never be able to explain it right you know what i mean right and they, also, they could never teach a course on blues and uh at harvard you know you have to live it right and and you'd have to experience that vibe from another musician to know that it's possible for someone to do it right i don't know i mean i, I there's almost only so much you can learn from people right you know at a certain point you have to understand that what makes them special is because it's, it's them. It comes out of them. You can't learn that. You can't really take it. But what you can take is the feeling of they have their own identity. And you've got to find that in yourself. That's the thing that you want to ultimately get. You know what I mean? You want to right. be influenced by all these people. But the main influence that I think you should learn from the greats are that you, you, you have to find it in yourself. You know, you can't rely on it anybody else. Right. And I think to see it in someone else gives you that inspiration to try to find it in yourself. So like, I used to search for it just constantly. I mean, I'd be at the library getting out VHS, you know, videos and just watching, rewinding, watching. And then I would drive 19 hours from Akron to Mississippi just to, like, maybe find a musician who I heard lived in some town. You know what I mean? Just because I wanted to see it. You know, and, and when I find, when I found it, shit is life changing, man. I mean, I, I was like 17 and I went to Greenville, Mississippi and I just started asking around for this musician named, his name was T-Model Ford and he made some really cool T records. T-Model Ford? Yeah. He was a total <laughs> badass. He played a death metal guitar. Like really? A, P, a PV. Yeah. And it said with like the, the letters you put on a mailbox, it's like said T-Model Ford, the tail dragger. <laughs> and he had it spray painted on his trailer that he pulled around with his Lincoln. And I, wow. you know, just going there, I would never want to just like become that person. Right. But whether they're from Mississippi or they're like a classical composer from Germany, there's a thing that these, all these guys have in common and it's like a sense of self. You know what I mean? Anybody I've ever met has a real, just a confidence that, you know, even though they may not be the best at certain things, they can like bring out the best in themselves, you know, and, that, and that's like enough. Do you know what I mean? I definitely I know, know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. You described it very well. That, that's a great way of putting it. Is it like the seeing it in other people, recognizing it in other people, and trying to find it in yourself? Mm. And that so, seeing it in other people me, means Is you know the, that it's real. The thing that inspires you. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. And you see somebody like T-Model or any of those guys, you know, they didn't have any extra thing they didn't have anything like any like um advantage really 
You know what I mean? It was a struggle, just like it is for anybody, you know? But they found it in themselves, I guess. Yeah, well, that's all any artist could ever hope for. That's the, the number one aspiration. Find out whatever is the best part of you, right? How, how do you get your best stuff out there? I mean, I'm still trying. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you know? But, I mean, I think that... Uh, I, for me, I just don't want to ever be too critical, too like self-critical. I want it to be, I want to try to like have it on, on the record, like in a fir- the first couple takes. So it feels, for me, it'll feel a bit more real, a bit more genuine. Do you know what I mean? I think that's really helpful to a record. Some of my favorite records, whether they're hip hop or whether they're rock and roll or whatever, they're made, usually, generally made pretty quickly. Big grand masterpieces that were labored over, I don't tend to listen to that much. I, I'll listen to it, and it'll be, maybe I'll hear something sonically that, ooh, that's cool that they did that. But then, like, at the end of the day, I always go and put on that one record that that one guy did in a day. You know? That's the one I always want to live with. That's my Desert Island shit, you know? <laughs> my Desert Island shit. Well, listen, man. Thank you very much for doing this. I really yeah, appreciate man. you coming in here, and um, I, I appreciate what you do too. I really do. It's uh, for me. I'm geeked out as a fan. I'm super <laughs> Thanks, psyched, man. and to get you to talk about your creative process like that is just giant for me. Appreciate so, it, man. if people want to get your music, the arcs, you guys, uh, what do you what do you have out that's out right now? We have a record called Yours Dreamily, and that's uh, available. At- all the all the local record shops <laughs> <laughs> that don't exist anymore, <laughs> iTunes, all that everywhere. stuff, yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. All right, thanks, brother. Appreciate yeah, you being here, man. Thank you. That's it for the week, fuckers. See you next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to Bowen Branch. Awesome, super comfortable sheets, and way cheaper than you would get at a store. Go to bowlandbranch.com. You can try them for free, risk-free, for 30 nights. If you don't love them, you can send them back, and they'll know you're fucking crazy. Or you're just, just an asshole. You're a dream killer. Go to bowlandbranch.com. B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com, and use the promo code ROGAN. That's bowlandbranch.com. Promo code ROGAN. We're also brought to you each and every episode by Onnit.com. Go to O-N-N-I-T, use the code word Rogan, and save 10% off any and all supplements. Hi! We're also brought to you by Caveman Coffee. That's what fucking jacks us up for this show. CavemanCoffeeCO.com. Single family, single source, single origin. Goodness... Um, next dates coming up are the 29th. First of all, thank you to everybody that came to the Moore Theater last night in Seattle. To do two shows, sold-out shows at a giant-ass theater like the Moore on a Wednesday night in April. Man, that was amazing. I was so happy. It was such a cool crowd. It was so fun. And I just, damn, I feel lucky. So thank you, everybody that came out last night. I had a fucking fantastic time, as did young Tony Hinchcliffe. And you guys were beautiful. Um, next gigs, Ice House in Pasadena on the 29th and 30th. That's the end of this month, April 29th and 30th. And then what else is up? Oh, Irvine Improv, May 13th and 14th. And then the Ryman Theater in Nashville on May 20th. Okay, friends. Okay, friends. That's it for this podcast. That's it for this week of podcast. I will see...
I will see you or he, uh, you will hear me next week. And uh, I got some good guests, bitches. Steve Maxwell will be back. My good friend Steve Sharippa. I got Lewis from Unbox Therapy. That's right. So uh, until then, thank you, everybody. Appreciate the fuck out of you. Much love. Bye-bye. Big kiss. 